coming up on another edition of the Front Page Football Podcast. It's myself, it's Matt Olson, and it's Jack Tuhill. The three of us, we sat down, and first of all, we addressed the big news story over the weekend in the A-League Men, which was Dwight York's departure from MacArthur. We'll break down some of the reports that are coming out around that. Uh, what does it mean for Dwight York? What does it mean for MacArthur moving forward? Uh, and just another, I guess, debate around that, around uh, coaches and foreign coaches and, and you know where we sit, I guess, in the A-League with that and how that's working um, because in recent times, it's it's something that isn't really paying off for, for A-League clubs. But after that, we then got in to do what we usually do, uh, which is to review some of the football. Um, and yeah, there were some really interesting results over the weekend. Obviously, Perth Glory beating Melbourne Victory is probably the standout result, and, and Matt Olsen was there, so we got his insights into, into what's going on there with Perth because they really are in a resurgent run of form at the moment. And also some other interesting results, Western United beating Sydney 1-0, and uh, Steve Corriger seemingly under uh, increasing pressure in the uh, in the Harper City. And then you've got Wellington beating the Mariners in, in what was a really fiery and really entertaining game as well. So um, yeah, breaking down those games. Jack Tuhill as well, being uh, from, from Newey and being our Newcastle correspondent in a sense. We, we got his verdict on the Jets one all draw with the Wanderers as well. So yeah, about five games that we broke down there um and if you want to check out our review to adelaide's one nil win over macarthur um particularly i guess pertinent at the moment given given the uh dwight york situation um you can go and check out on the same feed as this podcast it was our 12th mini of the season uh and uh, the boys on friday did a great job um breaking that game down so go and check that out anyway after our review of the games we really got into what this podcast all about which was mid-season grades so we went through each club and gave a grade basically A through E, uh, um, you know, and chose for, for, for each club. So yeah, it's a monster podcast. Um, and I know on TNC, uh, the National Football Curriculum, which is which is probably the most popular podcast in, in Australian football, that they like to call it an espresso edition um, when it goes over two, two hours, two and a half hours. Well, this is over two and a half hours and we can't use the term espresso. So I guess maybe it's a Red Bull edition, I want to say. Um, so yeah, some kind of energy drink anyway, but I'm rambling on. This is a massive podcast, so let's get into it. Um, I'm your host, Christian Marchetti, and we'll be back right after this. Welcome back to another episode of the Front Page Football Podcast. And yes, this is our second podcast this weekend. How about that? And this is going to be a much more extended version uh, on the Front Page Football Podcast, not the mini, which you can go check out. Good job to uh, Cody Ajada for hosting the mini. Uh, Adelaide versus MacArthur was the game on Friday. So go check that out. Um, That's on the same feed as this pod. Uh, Didn't appreciate the jokes uh, at the start of the pod. Uh, about about me but you know that's that that's fine i guess that just comes with the territory of being um being the boss so anyway um let's <laughs> let's get into it i'm joined tonight by matt olsen our wa contributor matt how are we going yeah fancy me having such a uh, a boring life that i do both of the two pods in one weekend exciting something to take pride in i, I think yeah. uh personally and we're also joined who's making a rare appearance on this podcast and not from his corolla it is Jack Tuhill from Newcastle, and he's wearing a Socceroos shirt as well. 
Uh, Jack, how are you doing on this lovely Sunday evening? It's it's great. I'm feeling great. I'm not claustrophobic anymore. I'm not in a four-door, medium-sized sedan. No, I'm in an actual room in an actual living dwelling. It's a, it's fantastic. Everyone should feel very pleased for me, I think. That is that is absolutely fantastic. Just just incredible, incredible news. Uh, and I think the most the most important thing that we're going to discuss on this podcast today. So anyway, moving on. Um this this podcast, we've got a lot to get through. So first of all, obviously we didn't plan for this, but then um, you know, a massive grenade was decided to be dropped uh into into A League circles yesterday with the with the news that Dwight York uh and MacArthur parted ways. Um, and now there's been extra reporting today uh, on on that situation, which we'll get into in a moment, but we're going to discuss that situation. Is he going to Sydney FC? All this kind of stuff that's coming out of it, um, you know, and, and dressing room sprays and all this sort of stuff. So we'll get into that in a moment, uh, and then we'll talk, as we usually do, uh, about uh, the football, of course, and what happened on the pitch uh, yesterday. Uh, some really interesting results. Matt, you were there as uh, Perth beat Melbourne Victory 3-1, so you can definitely give a bit of a spiel about that um, as well. And then we had some games uh, today too uh, with with Newcastle as well. Jack is very well placed to, to give us some insight into the Newcastle uh, draw with the Wanderers too. So we'll, uh, we'll do that reaction. And then we've got a special feature on this podcast today, given that we are pretty much on the midway point of the uh, A-League men's season. We're going to be doing a club-by-club mid-season grade. So we'll start bottom uh, 12th going up. Um, and we'll do club by club mid-season grades, each of us. And uh, yeah, so plenty lined up on this podcast. But without further ado, let's get started with the Dwight York news. So basically, Andy Harper decides to go all Fabrizio Romano on us um, at the end of the West United Sydney FC uh, broadcast. And he decides to announce, essentially announce, um, that Dwight York uh, was leaving MacArthur. He must have had some source that was close to the situation, and he, and he um, announced that on the broadcast. Um, and basically, Twitter goes into a frenzy, as what usually happens with this sort of thing. And uh, yeah, before you know it, a matter of hours, MacArthur have announced um, that, that Dwight York has, has left. So um, bizarre, obviously, in the first sense that, you know, MacArthur are, you know, not, not doing terribly. They're, they're six. They haven't been super consistent and and definitely the the uh you know self-proclaimed york ball um which they definitely aren't going to be talking about anymore has uh has you know worn off and they definitely you know really struggled there was a stat actually um and that loss in adelaide made it eight winless games in a row outside of new south wales for macarthur which is an interesting one but definitely the reporting coming out of this is that it's not really linked to results and more dwight's you know, personal opinions of of what he's seeing day to day in that environment. So Dan Walsh of the Sydney Morning Herald has come out, um, and it's about would be about two hours ago now at the time of recording this podcast with a, with an update on a Sydney Morning Herald, um, and yeah, basically kind of outlining more into what was said after the game uh, on Friday uh, in Adelaide after that defeat. Basically, York kind of gave if these reports are to be late to be believed York kind of sprayed his players um, in front of uh, the chairman, Gino Mara and the CEO, uh, Sam Guslovich. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly uh, too. And, and Gino Mara kind of tried to step in and kind of stop it and things like this. So basically you can kind of see that, you know, it's a situation which is not, uh, not gone down too well with the, with the hierarchy at MacArthur. And he's kind of just calling out uh, standards uh, from the players and, and maybe from the club as well. Uh, the culture, um, and he and he apparently referenced uh, a substandard culture across multiple levels of the game in Australia, which is also an interesting, I think, point to this as well. 
Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's all kind of come down uh, and turn into shit. Um, this this appointment from MacArthur, and uh, just basically let's let's just basically kind of uh, give our initial thoughts on it. I will just also reference this from from Aussie Scout, who's uh has become, I guess, a very reputable source on Twitter these days. Uh, and he also reported, this was earlier this morning, um, this is Sunday morning, that the post-game comments are believed to have cost White York his job. Um, and apparently he referred to the players as basically a pub team. Uh, and, you know, the club is a joke uh, in comments made to the club chairman. I guess if the Sydney Morning Herald reporters to be believed as well, that was in front of the club chairman as well. Um, and it's also understood, something which I heard as well, that Miles Tajovsky is going to be the new head coach of MacArthur. So maybe expect an announcement in a few days. But that's enough of me talking. Matt, uh, your initial reaction, thoughts on, on this situation? So, I mean, first and foremost, look, let, let's think about who Dwight York is. He comes from a really sort of high caliber background, took Trinidad and Tobago to the World Cup in 2006, has obviously a, a big career in England, and particularly uh, as he's most known for in the Premier League uh, with Manchester United. And, you know, he might have still had a bit of love for the A-League. He might have still had um, that connection with the A-League, obviously as a player finishing his career uh, with Sydney FC. But I think um, given that it, it was his first foray into management, I think it's not too far from the truth to say that he probably always thought that he was above the league for a start. And this this mentality, and I think a lot of the way he viewed what he was doing at a club like MacArthur in the first place, I think it's it's really not the biggest shock in the world that that this kind of um, these details have emerged. Um, but I, I sort of want to credit the MacArthur administration in a way for for listening to that and basically not putting up with it. So the the one thing I'd, I'd say in that respect is, you know, from, um, you know, where they look to go in the future, someone like Milos Stojovsky, it'll be his first foray, foray into management as well, but it'll be, you know, someone who understands youth development in Australia, someone who understands the game and somebody, somebody cares first and foremost. So that's a step in the right direction for the club. And, and of, I guess a similar mold to sort of Ante Milicic, who was the inaugural manager as well. Um, and I don't know how much we really want to discuss this part of it, but I guess I just can't help but think about how much on field in particular MacArthur is just sort of this mediocre team um, from top to bottom. And it's, again, it's something we can maybe go into when we, when we do that mid review, uh, mid season review segment. But yeah, I just, I, I'm worried about this because I just, they've not been able to get any consistency going in the few years that they've existed now. And okay, Dwight York won the cup, but I mean, they actually had a really, really easy run. And that, that achievement was, you know, was definitely overblown of its, of its effect. As for Dwight York, uh, you know, potential Sydney rumours, when 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 it was first sort of mentioned, when the news was fresh, you know, I was sitting there thinking that actually kind of makes sense, uh, to be honest, because I think with more experienced players with a club with really big ambitions like Sydney FC, he's a pretty good match. But if he thinks he's bigger than the A-League, not going to happen and it shouldn't happen. So so that's honestly where I'm at with the whole, the whole situation right now. Yeah, so I think it's, it's an interesting one. So one thing that's kind of springing to my mind with the the comments alleged comments about you know the standards and things like that this is something that was very similar and and we reference this guy sometimes on the podcast but um the the thing is that the foreign coaches you know we get this i mean dwight's maybe in a different situation because he he did play here now that was a number of years ago 
Um, and, you know, the, the state of the game was probably different to what it is now. But I, I think the foreign coaches, they there is definitely some truth in the fact that they don't really understand what maybe that work that, you know, what they're walking into uh, when they come into the A-League for sure, um, particularly as managers and, and what, you know, um, challenges they're going to be facing and, and how there isn't maybe the, the financial um, or, you know, infrastructure to, to get around those challenges basically overnight. Um, so yeah, basically I think that's, that's a problem. And, and the guy, sorry, that, that comes to my mind of this is, is Yotian Verbeek who coached here in Adelaide for a bit. And it really ended in a really similar situation where he was kind of calling out this sort of stuff very openly, very publicly, not like this. Um, this seems to have happened behind closed doors and now has been brought to the public's attention. Um, but yeah, this, this seems to be an ongoing trend and I know, look, Matt, I agree with your, a lot of your points there around, you know, you can't come in here and basically think you're above it. That, there isn't, you know, it's not necessarily true that Dwight thinks he's above it, though. That's, you know, that's that's maybe a feeling that you get when you read this stuff. But I think as well, think about, you know, who Dwight York was coached by for many, many years and Sir Alex Ferguson. Okay, so there's also maybe that element where he, there's a certain culture, a certain professionalism that he expects. Now, we don't know this at all, but who knows? Maybe there is something that's, you know, downright bad and, and you know, not good enough, even by Australian football standards at MacArthur. You know, maybe there is something happening there which which we don't know about. Um, and maybe he identified it, you want to change it, and and you know, he's been too overeager in his attempts to do that. So at the moment, look, we're we're all speculating about what's happened. Um, I think, you know, all I would say is that this is not a this is not an isolated incident. I think this has happened a couple of times now, uh, for sure, in, in recent years with foreign coaches and it's and it's probably something which needs to be maybe brought to light a little bit and spoken about a little bit in uh in Oz football circles i think because i think it's it's uh not a good sign moving forward for clubs that want to you know hire uh foreign coaches jack yeah uh you you probably want to jump in and give your take on this yeah i actually agree with you there christian i think that in terms of foreign coaches coming down to an a-league level down's probably not the right word to to speak of because i i think all of us here think the quality is quite underrated in in most football circles when talked about but um, I think that it isn't an isolated incident. I, I do think that the Adelaide situation was vastly different. I actually genuinely believe, genuinely believe that uh, Verbeek, did you say it was? He, yeah, I actually yeah. don't have a lot of memories of him, but I remember some yeah. of his press conferences, some of his, like, what he would do at some, like, you know, yeah, yeah. public eyes. Yeah, he, he was completely, yeah. completely, um, mm. you know, inappropriate. Uh, in terms of MacArthur, I somewhat agree with in terms of a professional standard. Um, I've been out to their training facilities. They're not great. They're, they're definitely subpar for a professional football team. They are a new team, and we have to remember that, but they've also been in the league for a few years. You would hope that they get their act together, start putting some money into a very good training facility so the players can have a professional spot to practice their craft. And then when you hear things like MacArthur dramas, one of the last couple of weeks, we've been hearing a lot of a lot of things circulating around how the security is heavy-handed with fans in terms of not allowing active support to be a part of the experience at Campbelltown, which I think is a terrific park to play football at. But it's those little things that makes me feel that the 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 board and the chairman actually are sort of not sure how to pr- run a professional football club in this country. 
And that's what it speaks to me as. And if, you know, if Dwight York is heavy handed in, in bringing that up, whilst, you know, they are the boss and they can just say, well, if you don't like it, you know, good riddance, see you later. Mm. I think that it's something that has to be addressed at MacArthur because even this season, it's not the first instance of people complaining about how the club's being run because the last couple of weeks have had some pretty decent crowds out at Campbelltown. I think it's a great spot to watch some football. You're so close to the action. I think it's a terrific place to, to build a fan base around. And some of the things I'm hearing about security being heavy-handed and then this Dwight York stuff speaks to me that the league's got to keep a close eye on MacArthur and how they're run now because Dwight York does have a certain pedigree in terms of professionalism. And, yes, if he thinks he's bigger than the league, then he should not be here. And that's, I think, everyone can speak that into truth. But if he's calling out some genuine problems at the club, like I was hearing on the telecast today, that there could be signings made without him knowing additions to his squad con- contract terminations we know that carter's contract was just terminated so he can move back to back to portugal very recently if that's happening without him knowing and then the results on the pitch as well are putting a stress on on dwight york as a manager then he is in his right to call that out and until we know some more details about what has actually happened at macarthur and how this relationship is broken down um we we can't really speculate about that sort of stuff but I think that we can't just go automatically to say that Dwight thinks he's too good. He thinks he's a better manager than the A-League and that's why he's kicking up a stink because I can see some glaring problems at MacArthur that, you know, if I was put in his position, I'd feel like I need to call him out. Yeah, I guess the reason why it sticks out to me, and you you made this point with Verbeek, so so I just I feel it's completely relevant and, and on the right tone to say this. If you, like me, I, I obsessively watch the press conferences that all 12 managers have um, at the end of every round to really get a perspective with with where they're at on, you know, how each each result affects them and their team. And I think with Dwight York, he really, if you, you, you look back and you watch it, I mean, he really... He really wanted to hone in about the standard. He didn't shut. He didn't shut up about it. It was always about the standard and the professionalism, and the fact that that was always at the forefront of his mind. That's why I kind of am shaping that narrative of okay, did he did did he really think that there that this is just a stepping stone? Like you know, maybe I'm I'm coming to a conclusion there, but he just he he used the word professionalism in just about every post match press conference or or really any event that he was speaking at other than maybe you know the cup the cup finals and the semis and that and at, at which point they weren't even playing against professional teams so you know i i just i i think that that there's there's actually grounds to think that that maybe some of that was going on but as you say jack and and you again you you spot on it's just a lot of you know particularly in in a place like uh, like Campbelltown in the macarthur region where it's obviously it's not it's not a big city, so there's not going to be a, a really a high standard of facilities anywhere, really. So they have to build from the ground up, and I think if I'm not mistaken, they have put out plans for some kind of training center. Is that correct? I believe so. Not that I know of, um, but yeah, I'm sure we can we can look into that. But uh, moving on, just York to Sydney FC is something that's being talked about. Marco Monteverde, who's a, a very very well, um, you know, well sourced and very well known journalism for Oz journalist for Oz Football, um, and he reported that uh, yesterday, as this was going on, uh, later on at night, he reported that that York was poised to take over at Sydney FC. Now, um, 
that's an interesting one because also, of course, on on MacArthur's statement announcing that that Dwight York has left, uh, they quoted as saying that you know to pursue other opportunities was written in that statement, which kind of led people to put two and two together. Um, so, you know, what what do we think if if that move, I guess, is to is to come to fruition, uh, Jack? Uh, I think that it, it seems like it's the easiest move to make, given the results that Corica's you know, um, had recently, especially this year and last season. I think that a lot of Sydney fans would like to see a change in the regime. Um, that's probably the nicest way to put it. Um, they're, they're very frustrated with him. And, you know, someone like Dwight York, who they've seen as a player to come in, um, in terms of a PR, uh, it would be good to appease those fans. Um, whether or not he's able to bring success, it is a different story. Again, um at MacArthur, he did win a trophy in the Australian Cup, which is, you know, something to to not sort of, you know, bat your eyes out. As silly as a, it is a major piece of silverware in Australian football. However, um, it was a pretty easy cup run. In terms of the tactics that I've seen, Dwight, I thought MacArthur lacked an identity from the start, from the get-go this season, and I think that's been well talked about. Sometimes individual players will carry them to significant results, but in terms of a team identity and team attitude, I'm pretty sure that I didn't see much of it. And, um, you know, in, in his team selections, it's a bit dicey too. So if, if Sydney FC want to take a punt on Dwight York to appease their fans and just to get um, some some new thoughts into the dressing room, I think they're well within their right. But I think that if Sydney FC fans are looking to York to be the the cure to that sort of, you know, I suppose rotting disease at Sydney FC over the last couple of seasons, I think they're asking too much of him. And I think York would be asking too much of himself to do it as well because he is vastly inexperienced. Yeah, no, and I think that's definitely some of the commentary that's coming out from, from you know, Sydney FC fans and their reaction that I'm seeing on social media is that, you know, how how can you kind of, I guess, trust a guy to, you know, basically come in and, and rebuild Sydney FC when he hasn't really proven his worth at MacArthur? Um you know, but who knows? Maybe there's a feeling. I, I think Matt made a good point actually that if if Dwight wants, you know, I guess the best kind of standards and the best kind of professionalism in the country and and the best infrastructure, finances, blah blah blah. Well, Sydney FC probably is the best place to go and get that. So yeah, it, it's it's an interesting one. If it does happen, of course, still reporting phase at this stage. Uh, nothing nothing confirmed yet with that one. But Matt, I just want to recircle back to the professionalism and the and the foreign coach kind of argument and stuff because this is something that you've spoken about on this podcast before around local managers and local managers kind of understanding the system. And, you know, that's why the likes of Carl Viet, you know, it's maybe a bit more suitable to have a Carl Viet coaching Adelaide United or Warren Moon coaching Brisbane Raw because they understand what's in their backyard. They understand the development, the processes, this, that, and the other. Is does that mean for you that I don't want to say foreign managers are, you know, they should be null and void in the A-League because I'm pretty sure you can still get, you know, the odd foreign coach who can definitely uh, do a job down under. But it, is this starting to now, uh, will clubs now start to realize that maybe they should look a bit more to the NPLs or a bit more, you know, in, in their own backyard for, for coaches? Let's run the room on this because this is a really important conversation. Think of the likes of Marcus Babble. Think of, think of Carl Robinson. Think of Warren Moon. Um, Eric Monbert, he did succeed, but he didn't win the grand final. Uh, you know, these these guys, time and time again, they aren't succeeding at A-League level. They aren't. Um, and it's been a really, really big problem. 
Think about the Wanderers. The Wanderers are probably the best example of this. They are finally getting that success. They're finally where they want to be again as a club, and it's with Mark Rudin. Like, like that, that is that that to me tells everything. Melbourne City finally broke their duck and won a title. It wasn't with a foreign manager, it was with Patrick Kisnorbo. So yeah, yes. Warren Moon is the one who's been able to overachieve with Brisbane. He's pretty much done it twice now. They're not in the worst position in the world that they're in. Um, you know, maybe some questions about Korica and Popovich, but I think that's more just about the tactics that that are, are becoming sort of more, more, more and more stale with their with their sort of um, evolution. But yeah, I mean, for me, it is it is actually plain and clear to see. So the conversation could be had in in more depth. I know I've written about it and spoken about it before, but um, yeah, you you know, it's 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 a really big talking point in the game. I think you're completely right, Matt. I think that, uh, sorry, a plane's going over my house at the moment. Don't know if you can hear that, but I do apologize. Um, I think that you've hit the nail on the head there because uh, we've seen it with also marquee signings as well. A, a failure to understand how Australian football is in terms of its stature in the sporting landscape of Australia when, you know, people from countries that fully embrace football and football is the national sport is has led to foreign coaches and players alike failing and failing too often and also a lack of understanding of the conditions as well. Now, Dwight York thought he could come in a summer competition where he's facing conditions of 30-plus degrees in some afternoons and play some really nice, you know, passing football where he keeps the possession and it's fast-paced and trying to build a real sort of, you know, fancy identity with that team. Is completely wrong. It's very, very hard to play that type of football in the conditions. So, um, like you said, that you know, it, it happens time and time again with foreign coaches, happens time and time again with foreign players. It's a lack of understanding of where Australian football is in terms of the sporting landscape. And that's why we should be promoting more coaches from the NPL because they understand where it is and they understand how to be successful in that sort of niche microchasm that is Australian football. Yeah, so t- totally agree on on a lot of those points. If I had a couple of caveats before before we move on, I would say that although Patrick is that's a good example, Patrick Snorbo brought Melbourne City success. To be fair, Eric Mombard did shape a lot of that, I would say. So there is that. But also on the marquee stuff, you know, we, we still have had a lot of good successful foreign marquees. So what I would say overall is that we're not saying, you know, basically, hey, every A-League club, forget any foreign coaches or forget any marquees, start looking locally for everything. No, not at all. Um, because there definitely are some benefits, some really good benefits of finding good foreign coaches and good foreign talent. Um, I think there needs to be on both sides, from an A-League perspective and from the foreigners who are coming into the league, whether they are coaches or players, there needs to be more probably background work done into what you're facing, what's the situation, what are the problems at this club? How am I gonna? How am I actually going to resolve these issues? What kind of financial backing am I gonna have? What's the infrastructure? What's the club's plan moving forward? All this sort of stuff, and it basically comes down to due diligence, in my opinion. So that's something that I think you know definitely. Let's just say this: I, I don't think Macarthur are you know, you know, getting off scot free uh, about what what's happened here, right? That there's gonna be a lot of questions going their way, um, and particularly if they can't, you know, really because they haven't really yet, you know, got off the ground as a club in terms of having, you know, a decent attendance at matches and, you know, being able to really uh, get some success on the pitch as well. I mean, they had the Australia Cup win, but as Matt was saying, I, I kind of agree in the sense that it was a little bit of a Mickey Mouse run and it kind of maybe 
you know, led their fans to believe that they were better than than what they were. But anyway, moving on, um, because I'm I'm pretty sure, uh, yeah, we've got a lot more to touch on in this podcast, and we're going to get into the football now. Um, so yeah, let's let's start let's start at Macedonia Park because Matt Olson, you were there, uh, last night, Perth Glory, continue their great run of form, uh, and they are up to seventh in the table. They've now got five wins to their name. They are knocking on the door of the top six. Um, and the team that's actually above them is MacArthur. So, you know, you're looking at the, the situation of those two clubs. You'd, you'd rather Perth Glory probably fancy them more to get in the finals right now as well. So, um, yeah, 3-1 winners. Uh, looked very good right from the start. Um, Salim Khalifi looked fantastic again. Ryan Williams on the score sheet. The big story, though, was Adam Taggart coming off the bench and scoring twice, um, which is just huge for Perth um, because there were... It already kind of started, didn't it, where... You know, Ruben Zakovich came out a couple of weeks ago uh, ahead of the, I believe it's the Sydney game, uh, and he said, you know, basically Adam Taggart's got a quad issue. He's going to be out one to two weeks. And then Perth fans are already kind of thinking, okay, when's this guy going to get on the park? And then when he does, he scores twice, which is absolutely, you know, it's kind of the perfect start, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, and again, look, we can we can chat um, really about the specifics in the in the review side. I don't want to touch on the broader picture too much, but. Um, this night in particular, for me, it just, it just sums up how, you know, Ruben Zakovic has actually really managed to mold something together and, you know, something that's been made by, you know, writers and people in the football community, probably far more senior than me time and time again, was they, they struggled to really understand where this team was going because Ruben, particularly at the start of the season, I think he, he had the conversation a lot about the rebuilding phase and getting away from what made the Garcia era so sort of drab and, 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 you know, just, yeah, fun, fundamentally changing a lot of that up. Ultimately, tactically, I don't really think that he did. Um, and that was maybe why there were some, some, you know, some troubles early on. Also, you know, he obviously spent the nine or so whatever games it was last season, basically playing an MPL squad. So there was a lot that factored into that, but um, the reason why this was so big um, for me was because he finally got his team together and he finally was able to sort of prove everyone wrong um you know not just not just with the form leading into a game like this but the ability for things to just go right when it when it mattered most the fact that Salim Galifi was there the fact that Ryan Williams Mark Beavers all the players that you really needed to be there obviously the only one missing Aaron McInef he's out for eight weeks with an injury so there's not really much you can do with that but it just it just to me this is the kind of result the landmark result that Perth has been asking for for a very long time still not in the top six of course but um you know there was there were signs there that things were kind of going right and i think you know just prior to the game i had a lot of people say to me you know the team actually looks good on paper which a lot of a lot of people you know a lot of glory fans in particular i think a lot of them look at the team on paper before a game and just think i don't understand why there's all these people missing i don't understand what's going on and adam Taggart was obviously at the heart of that he was named on the bench everyone got excited um and uh and he and he picked up and, and obviously performed um but a shout out to uh, a man who assisted him in, in jacob dows as well because you get little you get little um sort of plays here or there who've found a way through and i think that it's not just the Khalifis and the williams that deserve all the credit as well there's a lot of really underrated talent at the heart of that team as well jacob dows probably being at the forefront of uh, of last night's performance anyway um but but more to say on that um throughout the team at uh, different periods yeah, I'm, I'm glad you talked about Jacob Dias because he's had a rough go of it through his career. He's had three knee surgeries before he turned, I think, 17 or 18. And he's come through the Northern New South Wales NPL system, now playing for Perth Glory on the opposite side of the country. 
and playing some really nice football in the last two or three games. And, um, you know, just just from that, uh, I'm very happy for him. But I think that's the story of this Perth Glory team. There's a, there's a few players in there that sort of have either come back from clubs in the A-League or have been rejected from clubs overseas, come to Perth Glory, and they've established over the Macedonia Park series. I'm going to call it that because they've played Macedonia Park on and on and on, and it's just built this really, really good I suppose, uh, attitude within the squad and camaraderie. And, yes, also um, Johnny Katrumbus came back from um, cancer as well, and now he's playing for Perth Glory. I think Matt Olsen, Matt Olsen nudged me in that direction. So <laughs> I just want to say, well, the thing is, the thing is. All right, I, That's the identity I, I that Zach Fitch is building. That feature on Zoom is really helpful, guys. Anyway. Yeah, it is, it is. I didn't, I, didn't want to inter- <laughs> I didn't want to interrupt, but I just wanted to say, Ruben having this sort of, you know, this experienced presence with the likes of Williams, Amini, uh, you know, Khalifi, these guys, and mixing it with this sort of northern New South Wales DNA. Jack, it must be something that you're really proud of because Katrumas obviously played for the Jets, had that period in, I want to say, 2017, 2018, got diagnosed with testicular cancer, came back, him and Jacob Dowes to be in that position where they're having this sort of retribution story going on and yes. also having that that DNA where they're from. They're, they're also from... Um, actually, I don't know if Katrumas is actually a Newcastle boy, but he obviously played for the Jets and is well acquainted with Ruben as a result. Yes, um, yes of so, course. Yeah. Uh, and I, I I love that. It's, you know, so it's sort of like a second team now for me. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I just think that, you know, I think a lot of people were, were discounting Ruben and Perth Glory from the outset of this season. And I think Ruben Zakovic as a coach came into it with a really good, healthy mindset saying that, hey, this is a rebuild season. This is something that I can build, put my <laughs> own um, spin on, make sure that I've got the, the type of players and the type of attitudes within the players to to make this team successful once more. And the players that he's picked up that have gone through genuine life struggles who on that pitch probably count themselves lucky that they're even there is, I think, just typifies that team. And I'm not saying that in a bad sense. I'm just saying that they know how to battle. And it's a team of battlers that... It's not like they're playing really fancy football. They're grinding out some of these results. They're getting into the box and just trying to force goals and force options. And perhaps besides those two Taggart goals at the end, which were sublime crosses from Jacob Dias onto the, the head of Adam Taggart, um, they really try and force the issue, especially at Macedonia Park. And that's what I like about them. They're, they're a team full of battlers and they're playing like battlers. Yeah, I, I agree pretty much totally with with what you said there i i totally agree with the part around like perth are they're actually walking the walk right you know ruben zakovich is coming out and he's saying like you know and mustafa amini's come out and said it's like mastoni park fortress this and the other now a lot of teams can easily say that right you know MacArthur could come out next week and start you know whoever's in the job uh, as head coach coming out and start saying you know Campbelltown, you know we're gonna make it a fortress and the other and then come out and play really passive football but Perth every time I've watched them particularly in first halves at Macedonia Park first 20 minutes they are up for it they're in your face and they're gonna force the issue straight away and that's just perfect that's exactly what they need you know we're already um you know hearing about Macedonia Park and that you know you, you can kind of see it on TV as well that the atmosphere is great it's closed in uh, Matt I'll, I'll, I'll get to you in a moment around that because I'm sure you can speak to that a little bit around that atmosphere at Macedonia Park because you've been there a little bit uh, this season but you know th- they really are bringing the energy and the fans are feeding off it uh, from from the looks of it anyway and it's and it's really working I think as well you know you look at this team you've got 
I, I think it's really interesting that you guys have brought out this, this kind of conversation around, you know, how this team has been built and where all these different pieces are coming from because you've got guys like Cameron Cook, who's now forced his way into the team. He's the undisputed number one. I love the kid. Um, and he's he's like a Northern Territory product, right? So there's that. Then you've got uh, the Katrumbus and the Dow situations. You've got still your young kind of Perth Glory products in Yelichich and Bodnar who are doing great work as well. Then your journeyman type players in Clisby and David Williams, A-League journeyman anyway. Um, and then guys like Mustafa Amini and, and Ryan Williams who have, um, you know, have got Australian pedigree but have been overseas and, and been there and done that as well. And let's not forget the foreign players for Perth that are doing really well at the moment as well. And I have to talk about Stanley Khalifi because this guy has to be one of my favorite players in the A-League right now. Um, and more to the point because I remember going to... Um, the Adelaide United Perth game early on the season. And that's when things were really slow out of the blocks of this, this Perth team. And Salem Cleef was playing his right wing back and maybe his left wing back actually in that particular game. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was kind of like, you know, who knows, you know, is this the kind of talents of this guy wasted in this sort of position? But when you can get him in attacking scenarios like they did, particularly in that first half and linking up with Ryan Williams, I mean, that's actually a really scary combo for, for a lot of teams. Uh, and they're going to find a lot of space in behind, you know, a lot of left backs down that kind of uh, channel. Uh, and Noel Smith had a really tough time um, in that first half of dealing with that. And then Daryl Ashman has been a really consistent player for Perth, to be honest, for, for, for quite a long time. And, and Mark Beavers as well has been a, a good signing. So, I mean, you look across the park and, you know, for the moment anyway, uh, all of their different pieces are, are working out. Okay. Um, on the flip side, another team who's, whose uh, pieces are not working out at all, um, are Melbourne Victory. And... Yeah, how how long is this going to go on for? I guess is the real the real question for for Tony Popovich and Melbourne Victory. They are now bottom. They've picked up three wins from twelve games. Um, they've lost seven, and they've only scored eleven goals in twelve games. Um, and although, yeah, Bruno Fornaroli had some moments, I guess last night. Jack Grimm had a chance in the first half too. Um, Chris Economides has got himself just mind-bogglingly, stupidly sent off. Um, in the second half as well. It, it's just not clicking for them at the moment. And I guess, you know, um, I yeah, where, where to for them, I guess, is the real question. Uh, I Matt. think it's... Uh, oh, sorry, Maggot. Anyone, anyone go. <laughs> I just think the attitude's a problem. There's a poor attitude within that victory side. And I, I actually don't think it's a much of a Popovich problem. Like, the the, the body language I see from, from victory in the games I've watched them this season, especially the games that they've lost, um, has been extremely poor. And they don't look up for it. And it's in that first 20 minutes, for me, where a team either proves they're going to win a game or if they're going to lose a game. When I watch them in the first 20 minutes of any game this season, I can't remember the last time victory had a hot start. Like, they've they've had some key moments in those first 20 minutes, but in terms of the physical, uh, the, the physical battle in the middle and also winning their duels... It's like they're sort of going through the motions and then they can't settle into these matches and they make stupid errors. And that Economides one really typifies the frustration that's probably within that squad because of that. And also it really doesn't help that they can't nail down a consistent lineup that they like. Popovich is chopping and changing most weeks to try and find something that works and he's full within his right to do that because they're not getting the results. But it's obviously got to be frustrating for those players who really don't know if they're going to be playing in the in the next week or who's going to be alongside him in the next week. You know, some of those stalwarts in um, you know, probably Miranda and and Berlante plays most weeks. Fornaroli now is starting to get consistent minutes. 
uh, it must be frustrating for them to not know who's going to be around them and how they're going to play and how they're going to navigate games in certain points in the match. It, it's almost like they're s- steadfastly falling apart and it's a really agonising uh, falling apart. Sorry, Miranda was on the bench last night, but um, yeah, he's been one of the guys who has pretty much played most of the minutes apart from the game they were actually talking about. So that's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, uh, Matt, you, you want to jump in and, and talk a little bit about the victory? Yeah. Um, I, again, I respectfully, Jack, I think you have missed something a little bit there because you've said it's not Popovich's problem, it's an attitude problem. A big part of sports management is man management. And if the players are having an attitude problem, like, you know, and 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 respectfully, I, I have first-hand experience as a Perth fan of Popovich getting things wrong. People, people, we made the semifinals and I think a lot of people forget that 1920 was actually quite a fucking disastrous campaign. Just sneaked into the six and happened to beat the Phoenix after their best season ever in the A-League. So, you know, and and, and no, let's not forget the, the, the dressing room had sort of deteriorated to the point where his sons were getting into the team. They were, they were starting. Christian started the first few games of the season. So again, he has a history of because I think a lot of clubs, at least Victory and Perth in, in these most recent stints for, for Tony Popovich, they've turned to him in a time of need. And what he's done is he said, we're going to completely change the system up. We're going to get to a point where we have this really big high bar to set. And the problem with Tony Popovich is he just about already achieves that first goal. He took Perth to a home grand final. He got Melbourne victory to the two-leg playoff where they unfortunately lost to Western United. But he pretty much already achieved the goal by getting them to be that top two team within that first season. And it means by the second season, a lot of that atmosphere within the dressing room wilters away because, because a lot of it from a Tony Popovich perspective is we've already achieved that. How do we convince ourselves to go one better? And it's, and it's that where he gets completely lost and where the attitude appears to fall apart. Look at these guys, Jake Brimmer, the 2022 Johnny Warren medalist. He's a shade of who he was last season. Why is that? Why is it? And I think that question is at the heart of why this team is doing so poorly. And Matt, can you, sorry, I was going to get you to do this in, uh, before, but can you speak to the Macedonia Park atmosphere a little bit? Can we can we talk about it in the, the mid-season review? You know what? Yeah, we will. We will. Yeah. Um, that's that's a good point. Okay, let's move on to uh, another struggling team. And it's actually going to mean that the big blue that's going to take place next Thursday is going to be between 11th v 12th, which is um, definitely for all non-victory as Sydney fans is is one of the uh, the jets. Things. The Jets are down by six goals on goal difference to Sydney FC. That isn't true. Sorry, Jack. Ah, uh, that's that, oh shit, no, no. You know why? You know why I thought that? I thought that because everyone kept talking about it on Twitter, so I just uh, thought, oh yeah, that's going to. I wanted it to be the baby blue, the Australia Day baby blue. You know, oh, where, where, where? You know, oh, damn it! Come on, Jets, pull out something. Come on. But um, that is not true. Bad hosting. Um, it's actually Newcastle in the victory or bottom two, so it will be tenth v twelfth. I mean, either way, look, you know, it's 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 kind of shit v shit at the moment. Anyway, um, so. Sydney FC, 1-0 defeat in Tasmania to Western United. Um, now, I did not, I was not able to catch this game, but um, from what I understand, Sydney FC had their chances um, and, you know, probably should have come away with something from the game. And then Alessandro Diamante comes up with with one of the goals of the season so far. It was absolutely incredible, incredible strike uh, to chip Andrew Redmayne from, from about 40 yards out. So um, probably even longer. I don't even know. Um, so, yeah, Sydney FC uh, in a rut. Um, it's pretty clear that their fans want Steve Corriger out. Um, and the question now is, 
well, I think I think we're starting to get to the stage where it's it's becoming a question of when, not if. Uh, you, I think you'd hope so from a Sydney perspective anyway, because this does not seem to be working uh, at all, does it? No, we want to not. talk about <laughs> Jack. Go ahead, my friend. <laughs> this is not working. We're, we're having a troublesome time talking about these matches. Uh, it's not working for Karika. And also, someone who should hang his head in shame is Anthony Caceres because he missed about like two, I would say, genuine goal scoring chances that really someone of his, you know, stature in the league should be finishing. And there was another chance with Mac on the left-hand side that I thought there should be finished where Leila Lacroix just went wandering, like literally stepped up and just like ran straight past him. And then Mac was all of a sudden in behind. But also, Jamie Young, the glove man, like honestly, he's still one of the best uh, goalkeepers in the league at his, you know, fairly decent age. So congratulations to him. And then a 39-year-old Diamante, scores one of if not the goal of the season with that chip from 40 yards out like that was incredible and western united are starting to build a little bit of form here like they're starting to creep they're creeping up ever so slightly they've moved on from the very big worries and and starting to get a little bit of form back which is good to see from defending champions it would have been absolutely horrible for the league they ended up bottom after winning the grand final yeah i agree and i think I mean, let's look at, you know, let's look at some of the teams that are in the six, right? I think the definitely Melbourne City and, you know, the Mar- maybe that top four is, I don't want to say secure, not really, to be honest. It's really hard to say anyone's secure at the moment. Maybe the City and, and, and Mariners, and that's maybe it. But from West United perspective, the teams that are directly above them, okay, Perth are in really good form, but Adelaide United are not playing um, that well, even though they did win on Friday. It was, you know, far from a inspire uh inspiring um performance and then you know macarthur are in the situation that they're in and brisbane raw although i've had some great performances uh, are extremely consistent and you know we'll get to them in a very shortly but they've actually had seven draws from 13 games which is quite um quite funny actually to be honest but western united are more than a chance to make the six now and i remember you know i think we all kind of overreacted when you know like the the results that we saw at the start of the season and, and it was kind of like, oh, wow, doomsday for Western United and and maybe that, you know, that this is kind of, they, they reached their pinnacle and now it's all going to be, you know, going to shit from here. But I think, you know, they've shown their, from a, that their, their defensive identity is, I don't want to say coming back, but they, they have been a bit better of late, um, to, to put it that way. But then again, you could easily say that, okay, if Casera scores one of those two chances, Sydney probably win that game. So they have rode their luck a little bit as well. I think one thing for Western is that they're definitely not anywhere near the team they were last year. And we saw that when they got absolutely dismantled by Melbourne City a few weeks ago, right? So they can't really compete with those teams. But I think for them to, you know, muster a few results uh, in, in recent weeks and potentially, you know, edge their way into the sixth, to fifth or sixth coming in the season might be credited as a successful season. I don't know. Um, but just on Diamante, his ability to provide a spark for that team off the bench and, you know, come up with moments like that, it, it's quite unique. Um, and he, he really is a special player. Um, and he, yeah, it, it, I don't know. It, it, maybe it's because he plays Western United, but I think we just don't really give him the props sometimes that he deserves. Like, because he, he just, and maybe it's because he doesn't start as many games anymore as well. It's probably that. But he just, he's coming up with these moments every now and then. And he just kind of, you draw drops. Um, and for them to have a player like that, 
who can still provide that is really important, particularly when you've got, you know, Alexander Prijevic, who, um, you know, did not uh, start this game uh, and was not in the squad either. And, you know, we're not too sure where what his situation is. Is he going to be, you know, really there long-term and scoring goals? At least you've got another foreign player there who can who can do that and can provide special moments like that. I think, uh, look, uh, if I could just, again, counter Jack's point, and I hate to do it again, but I think when, when Jack talks about Western United creeping back, I think when you when you look on this game as a whole, what I'm worried about is Western still needed a moment of magic from an individual like Diamante, which Diamante has been in the league for four years, and he was already, what, mm. like 37 or 36 mm. when he joined, which is nuts. It's actually, it's actually crazy mm. to think mm. about. But obviously, yeah, I mean, his, his, his impact has to be really special um with where he's at in um in the team because there's there's still a lot of mentality issues there and I think there's still something that's just not quite right. Um Sydney FC again just just looking at them and obviously it is something that we'll be chatting more about in depth later. But uh, you know the, like just looking at some of the players in this team, I mean why is Luke Bratton not having the impact that he used to do? Why is someone like Max Burgess not the talent that he used to be? Why is Adam LaFondra not scoring goals, you know, basically a goal every game like he used to? Ryan Grant was the hottest thing in the A-League. Where's he gone? Where are these guys gone? And I think it mm. speaks again to Steve Corica having having that moment where I think they just they just need something new. They need something fresh. And um, trying to rely on that same DNA year after year after year after year, when you when you basically understand that he's a direct continuation of the Graham Arnold era, we're talking about the same team trying to play the same way for nearly seven, eight years on end here, basically. And I mean, like that, something's got to give, something has to change. And I, 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 I don't think it's that Steve Corrick is this awful manager and he needs to go. I just think they, they need something fresh. And it's just those the, the, the dog days are over, you know what I mean? <laughs> Um, that that's the vibe I get with with Steve Corica. That's why I, uh, I I feel that way about it. But this game this game for me encapsulated a lot of the problems that these two teams have, and that's that for me is not not a good thing at all. Yeah, I think that I agree that you know it probably needs a bit of a freshen up um, in in some capacity. Um, but it, um, they're not. It's not that they're necessarily trying to do the same thing. I, I think from a from a playing style perspective, they've tried to change things up from a formation standpoint. They don't play that four two 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 anymore like they used to, probably because they don't have a player like Milos Ninkovic who can really slot into that role uh, really well as a as a number ten. But you know, with Mac and Lolly, they've got more natural wingers, so they try and play more of a four three three, and they're still trying to figure out, I guess, how to how to get the best out of that. I would, if I give them one positive, it's that Alex Wilkinson came back and, and Western United didn't really create much. So I guess from a defensive standpoint, they they looked a lot better. Um, and potentially going against, you know, Melbourne victory next week, uh, probably one of, you know, two teams, probably Newcastle is the other, that are, that are in a worse spot than them right now. Um, they, they've got a real chance to to get back in the winner's list and that would be a really good game to, to do that. So um, look, it, it's it's not looking good um and the longer this goes on you know the the toxic atmosphere surrounding Steve Corrigan is just going to rise and rise so they really need a result one guy I think you know talk about freshening it up I think Adrian Segacic probably needs a bit more of a run and I know that they've got Lolly and Mac and I get it they've got two wingers there but I don't know maybe 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 Corrigan needs to make some sort of statement with his selection maybe that's what you know can kind of change this changes for for Sydney a little bit maybe he needs to drop an Adam LaFondra or something like that um because 
at the moment, from a tactical perspective, he, he isn't getting it right. So maybe he needs to look at, okay, maybe I'll throw a few Hail Marys, that sort of thing. Um, so let, let's see what he does come come Big Blue. Yeah, I, I think it wouldn't hurt to actually give Segesic a run as a number 10 and play with two up front with either Mac or Lolly. Like, I think they're sort of equal. I don't really think one's better than the other. And, um, you know, Adrian Segesic maybe as, you know, a second striking option or someone who sits at number 10 and maybe push Caceres um, and uh, another midfielder out a bit wider like Burgess. Burgess is, I think, pretty good to play, you know, a more wide midfield role. He, he's got a good dribble on him. He can cut inside. He, he can be exciting at times. And I think that the persistence with Adam LaFondra reminds me of the persistence with Bobo. And I think he, he's just trying the same tricks and trying to, in some cases, teach an old dog new tricks, and it's just not happening with Adam LaFondra. And, you know, if, I think that his performances weren't a dropping, especially considering last week. We, let's not forget, he missed two penalties against Phoenix. He should not have been on that park today. Uh, sorry, yesterday. He should not have been on that park for Sydney FC. You missed two penalties. In my books, you sit on the bench for a week at the very least. So it just speaks to to Corica running out of ideas or maybe not getting any new ones at this point. Yeah, well, uh, obviously they had the, the result against Perth last week. But yeah, that was that was two weeks ago against against Wellington. Um, and <laughs> sure, no, 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 that's fine. That's all good. Um, I think what was... What's weird though is that you know that against Perth they looked they looked really good in that first half. They'll turn them up at half time. Everything's kind of working. You think, okay, yep, you know they're, they're kind of getting back to where they were, and then they just have brain fades, I guess. Um, and you know it's more that's an interesting game as well. That Perth game where they concede right at the end. This game they concede right at the end as well. So you know it, it's maybe a concentration element with that as well too. But um, let's move on and we'll just touch on. The other game which happened yesterday, which was uh, Brisbane Roar, Melbourne City, nil or draw. Really not much to talk about, to be honest, with this game. Uh, really, yeah, not many chances either way. I think Tom Glover had a had a decent performance on a Melbourne City point of view. Um, and Brisbane, yeah, they got a chance to, um, yeah, give, give a run to a couple of new signings. Um, or to actually one new signing. There was one other on the bench, uh, which is their main new signing, which is Marcel Canardi. Uh, um, and he, yeah, he featured on the bench but didn't come on. Um, they've also signed young Ayuma Jock uh, on a youth contract from Adelaide City, and he came off the bench uh, right at the end. There, I thought he provided a bit of a spark too um, for for the Roar as well. But yeah, nil all draw. Um, Melbourne City, I guess you know. Didn't didn't really do much in this game, and they're they're still look they're still five points clear with the game in hand. Matt, there's not really much to to take away from this game, I don't think. Yeah, bizarrely enough, I think with the game in hand, the Mariners could sort of creep up on them. Um, uh, and I guess I think the Wanderers are a bit further back now, but I guess there's there's a tiny scare there, but it's not not really a threat. Yeah, well, it's fine. Um, so the Mariners, so City have still got a game in hand, uh, and they're five points clear. So they're eight points clear if you want to look at it like that way. That game in hand, of course, is the well, it's actually a it's actually a three quarter game in hand, um, which is the derby. Um, so yes, yeah, technically, yeah, yeah, no, but but just on, on this game, look, unfortunately, I've, I've not seen a lot of it, but if I were to contrast it with one of our inaugural uh, minis, Christian, round two, I think it was. Um, mm. where, you know, you're already seeing the development, the rise, the belief in Brisbane as a team, um, because that entire podcast was a, 
uh, WTF, we've got to wave white flags about the Brisbane Roar. And I mean, just look how much the picture has changed, which which is a credit, of course, to the management of Warren Moon. Um, I, uh, recruitment, uh, yes and no. Um, but, you know, just, just a lot of solidity that's come into it. And the fact that Melbourne City couldn't assert that dominance, regardless of whether the fact that game is at Redcliffe, Melbourne City could, are a team that assert dominance and they didn't. They didn't uh, assert their dominance on the game really um, so credit Brisbane, and that's just about the main takeaway from the game. Yeah, that's a really <laughs> good good point that you bring up about that round two mini that we did, because Warren Moon actually referenced that game straight afterwards um, when he did the when he did the interview on the pitch, and he was like, you know, when you kind of look at look at the two performances when we last played him, and we actually had a look at that uh, in the lead up to this game, and it, it was actually around the approach. And Brisbane, although they had thirty four percent of the ball. They did try and press in moments and try to be a little bit more adventurous than what they were in that game at Suncorp. So, um, yeah, much much more improved from them. Um, and I think for them, what they really need, they got Kanadi, which is which is I think going to be a decent signing for them. He's another midfielder, which they do need. They lack a bit of depth in that area. But if they could get a striker, um, and they are going to, you know, if there was Jack Hingert was talking on on Robbie Cornthwaite's uh, players pod recently and he was actually he kind of mentioned that yeah it looks like the club's going to be doing business in the window so i think that they will try and replace charlie austin with another foreign striker and i think if you look at that attack that they've got with carly armiento milusnic missed this game of course but what he can provide henry hoare as well joseph knowles if they can get another more agile quick um really good potent finisher to, to complement that. I think that could really start to turn those nil that they have into one nils, two nils, whatever. Um, so that, that could be really important for them. Jack, uh, I'll give you a little bit of time to make a point on this game and then we'll move on to, on to uh, Wellington Mariners and Newcastle Wanderers. I just wanted to catch up how good Brisbane Royal really were. Like, very boring game in, in terms of a neutral standpoint, but... In terms of expected goals, 1.28, they only really didn't score because of Tom Glover having a really good day in goals, made some really good saves there. And I think that Warren Moon, what he what he's established um, in the midfield, whilst you haven't, you know, made clear that it lacks a little bit of depth, is how they sort of soak up pressure and, and then can move forward. You've got dynamic players there. You've got O'Shea. I was impressed by Zabala for his 65 minutes that he played. I thought he played pretty well. And I like how Kai Truins moving sort of into the midfield. Uh, at times, it, it falls back into to a, a back five um, with Truin or Aldred sort of swapping in and out of who is that like number six. And they sort of interchange. But I like how Truins being pushed up a little bit more. I think he's actually quite a dynamic player for someone who we've seen as mostly a defender since he's come into the league. And I think the more we get to, to see that sort of midfield, um, I suppose, uh, formulate a bit more and develop a bit more, I think the the better Brisbane Raw and the better the league's going to be for it. Because I think Warren Moon is, is having a good run of form at the moment. And I think that he has got some of the tools to, to make a good shout at top six. Um, and if they bring a foreign striker that's, uh, you know, successful enough, uh, we could be talking about Brisbane Raw as a maybe a dangerous team in the the weeks to come. So, uh, yeah, a little bit scared of what Brisbane Raw could do in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> All right. Okay. You're you're a lot more higher on uh, on the Raw than I think uh, we were. But I will say this. Kai Truen, yeah, is an interesting one. He's been basically playing as a midfielder um, pretty much all season this year. 
um, after, yeah, as you're saying, playing as a defender most of his early career. So, um, yeah, it's it's interesting because Moon, I guess, kind of maybe came with this reputation of being more of a possession kind of dominant attacking manager, yet they kind of look a more, lot more dangerous when they play on the counter. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how that goes moving forward. All right, let's move on um, to another game I really want to talk about, which is Wellington beating the Mariners 2-1. Um, and this was kind of a crazy um, game for a Wellington Mariners game in New Zealand, um, which which aren't usually you know hyped up, but I think because these two t- these two teams are doing so well, um, it rightfully was. And I think with yeah, you know, Alex Rufus scoring, which was the big storyline of the game. Alex Rufus has finally scored an A League goal, which is which is quite incredible. Um, and then you've got Oscar Zawada hitting the net again. So for the Knicks, from that point of view, it was really all positive. But the Mariners, um, you know, particularly in the second half, you know, they, they had their chances and they they could have got something out of the game. They did score right at the end, but it was a flat performance from them. So, um, yeah, I guess their momentum is halted and Wellington are, you know, looking really good now um, and definitely more than capable to make a top, you know, a top four spot. Yeah, I think this game speaks to... The, the weird and wonderful season we're sort of having into the A-League. You know, Wellington Phoenix, the first couple of games they played this season, they sort of look like, you know, some weeks they could manage to, to knock someone off, but really were quite mediocre. And Central Coast Mariners built a lot of form. And now it's sort of flip-flop. What I watched, the game I watched, is a game that Wellington Phoenix were right on top of the Mariners. And really, if it, if it wasn't for a late flourish at the end there, could, could have done a significant amount more damage in the second half. I thought they missed about a few opportunities they could have got to get forward as well. But I just wanted to shout out Elliot, who I thought was fantastic. I thought he had a terrific game. That slide tackle towards the end of the match, magical, magical tackle. I love to appreciate defending like that because it's really a hard thing to get right as a defender to go down in your own penalty area to try and tap it away from a striker who's really almost one-on-one with your keeper. And the desperation as well um, it is sort of a, a vibe I get from this Wellington Phoenix. You know, it's even though they're outplaying opposition, they're always playing like they're hanging in there. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I just like the desperation they are to get results. And the the crowd that they get at Skybet, whilst it's small, it's, it's noisy and it's a good place to go home to, really. I I think they've had a pretty good run of form at home, and that's what's built on this, uh, you know, sort of impressive standing in the league. So it's a big shout-out to them. And, you know, Mariners falling flat after looking like a prime candidate to challenge Melbourne City for the Premier's plate, whilst I think they're far beyond, I think, a few teams in this competition. You know, they don't really look like losing games. You know, they are getting draws here and there, but they don't really look like they're going to lose many games this season. Uh, Mariners were the, the next best, in my opinion. And without Jason Cummings, who we have to look at, he, he did not play today. And they weren't very good going forward. And it sort of speaks to how good he, has, good he is as a connector, dropping in, taking the ball, making spaces for his wingers, and then getting in a position to score as well. So um, it'd be interesting to see if the Mariners can bounce back from this result. But uh, all in all, a terrific performance from Wellington Phoenix. Yeah, and I don't think, uh, Jack, your youth and focus this week, you talked about Sam Silvera, but I don't think it cursed him. I thought he was still okay um, in this game. So. Yes, the FPF, the FPF curse has been alive this season. Mm. I think when I read about Joe Gauchi, he made an absolute blunder the very next week. 
Uh, I wrote about Segacic, and then the next week he didn't even feature, I'm pretty sure. Or when he did feature, I didn't certainly know about, so he didn't play very good. So at least one person who I've tried to highlight has gone on to play a decent enough game. But he mm. was largely, I think, ineffective. I think they the defenders in the Winter Phoenix sort of worked him out. He likes to jink in on his right foot and get some shots mm. away. And they just sort of gave him a few extra yards and said, all right, go on, do, do your thing and see, see if you can get past me. And... Uh, unfortunately for the Mariners, he couldn't really do much with it. Yeah, the Rufa moment was absolutely awesome as well. Um, the way he's kind of just, just like ran literally fifty yards after he scored and just kind of celebrating was just like just so cool. Uh, it's one of my favorite kind of things in the A League when when players kind of celebrate like that. Um, and I'll also just add to your Callan Elliott point because he was absolutely fantastic in this game and his um that second goal by Wellington was literally world-class. Like, it was actually a really, really good goal. Kryev gets the ball. He perfectly switches it to Barbarossa's perfect way to pass into Elliott. Cross is perfect. And Zawada, he's going to feed off that surface every day, right? So, another thing just about Zawada, Wellington, their foreign recruitment has actually been, you know, second to none in recent years, right? And the other thing as well is that they're finding these big strikers who you know big target man type strikers who are doing well think of Tom Ahmed think of Gary Hooper and Zawada is now another one right to add to that list and you know he's I believe third top scorer now in the A-League with six goals um and I think if he continues the way he's going he's going to be right up there in in, in the mix with uh with that but uh Matt did you want to did you want to add anything uh, about this game I did um if you listen to the FPF mini I very distinctly said to Dylan and Cody at the end of the show the Knicks are due they're going to win and they did. And I, I think I even said 2-1, which was the result. But uh, the, look, the main takeaway from the game, again, didn't watch it in full. Can't really give the full picture. But that was Alex Rufus' second goal ever. No wonder he celebrated like that. I mean, the, the guy is a legend of Kiwi football. He's he Apparently, he's only ever scored once in the Cup. And I think that might have oh, genuinely been... his first A-League goal. First A-League goal. Yeah, yeah. first, first A-League goal. So, was, again, like, the man is just... Whoa. You can think about how much that meant to him. He's risen in his career to the point where he's the captain of that club and he's mm. he's just scored a goal. So, yeah, full mm. full props to him, especially for a midfielder who you expect to score more goals than like a centre-back, for example. So it's not, it's not a, this is niche, this is niche. It's not a top or Stanley, I'm going to protest in front of the FA building on Fox Sports in 2008 type areas, but it's there. Okay, that was such a random tangent. Um, you can bring that up, but I'll also say that... Rufa, yeah, he's kind of like Mr. Wellington Phoenix, you're right. And also, hopefully, nothing serious with Clayton Lewis, who had to come off. He he got kind of hit uh, right near the ACL area by by Benny Ancolola in the first half. And he had to come off. He, he played on it, but it wasn't uh, anything too, you know, convincing uh, when he was walking around on it. And then he had to come off uh, in the second half. So hopefully nothing too serious with him. Uh, also, the Mariners just, yeah, really missed Jason Cummings in this game as well. He didn't play either. So, yeah, uh, we'll also just quickly touch on the post-game melee that happened on the pitch because uh, that was pretty wild. Um, it's kind of originated, Oli Sal's gone to kick the ball long, and I think, I can't remember who it was off the top of my head. They've gone, they've tried to block it, and then it's basically just caused a fracas. Um, and Wellington's, what was most noticeable about this was Wellington's director of football, uh, Sean Gill, running into it and basically being one of the chief instigators who had to be told to walk away, um, which probably isn't the greatest look for uh, Sean Gill. But um, yeah, it was a pretty, pretty heated, uh, pretty heated melee. Lockie Sowers had his shirt ripped. So yeah. 
Uh, Christian, do you remember, sorry, Jack, I'm just, just going to butt in because th- th- something <laughs> like that has happened before. Do you remember when John Paul DeMarini assaulted the Melbourne victory person after the, because the, the, he thought there was golden goal in the semifinal, 2018? Oh, no, I, I remember John Paul DeMarini doing something, but I can't remember that off the top of my head. <laughs> yeah, it's happened before. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, backroom staff at A-League clubs, be careful at full time. That's that's all I would say. They like to Just throw watch hands. Out. <laughs> they, they, they've been working. They've been going to those, um, you know, those hip boxing trainings that they do to keep keep the conditioning up during the week. You know, they're, they're practicing their technique. Well, I'm surprised, was... <laughs> I'm surprised Andy Andy Bernal wasn't involved then in that post-game melee because he's yeah, the one, yeah, you see him on the Mariners' <laughs> socials doing the doing the boxing and stuff with like with the players and shit. So he's yeah. got some technique too. Like yeah, if if it if it went further and he went in there, he wouldn't might have acted as executioner. He might have been, you know, <laughs> might have been John Cena Royal Rumble circa 2008, just taking out people left, right, and center. Nicola Domostelli protesting at the FA and John Cena in the Royal Rumble. Hey, he came fire. in at number 30. We are on fire. He came in at number 30 that year. Um, the whole place erupted and he, he's come in and just knocked everyone out. It, it was incredible. But also what was so funny, Vukovic, God rest his soul, has run up because he genuinely looked like he was about to pass out, run the lake of the field, right? And then <laughs> whilst the melee is still going on, the, the I don't know who was the sideline uh, uh, presenter there. Just, just stuck a mic into his face, and basically, I mean, you know why? He... Because he was the only one who wasn't in the melee, so he yeah, yeah. Kill him. Well, he ran. He got there late. Like it was like he he missed the bus. So he's like, oh, I might as well give him an interview now, yeah. And he was still puffed out, and it's still kicking off like behind you. But this is still going on whilst they're delivering, like you know, sideline interviews. Like it was, it was so funny. I just thought, I thought it was funny. Like I yeah. knew that no one was going to be like super silly there because you know the game's over. Like why be super silly? And Bessar Rish is not involved, so obviously no one's going to be going out to the car park. You know, ten minutes later. But yeah, I just thought it was so funny <laughs> that Vukovic has run all that way to miss out on being in the little melee and then has to give an interview straight up. And he's huffing and puffing. Like he's 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 he feels wrecked. <laughs> <laughs> No, nah, uh, it was it was pretty funny. It actually caused me to miss the first 10 minutes of the next game that we're going to talk about, which is uh, the Jets and Wanderers. Uh, and Jack, you can definitely speak to this a little bit. Um, so the Jets start, to be honest, I don't, I don't know. I think the Jets are actually better in the second half, yet they were leading 1-0 at halftime, right? You know, and, and Thurgate scores a nice goal, nice late run, great header, great finish. Not easy to do that on the run as well. Great ball by Dane Ingham. Um, and yeah, the Wanderers actually had a lot of chances though in the first half. They could have easily taken the lead, um, and they didn't. And then the Jets score one nil half time. And then second half, I think both teams have chances. It becomes a bit more of a transition game. And um, yeah, one all doesn't really. I think it's not a bad result for the Wanderers. They're still in a good position. They don't lose the game. You know, um, it's probably a bit more frustrating for them because they don't score. And it probably speaks more to their striker issues at the moment as well. But I think for the Jets, it's another kind of one that got away right yeah um i think that it's rather disappointing i feel like that we in that second half we were genuinely on top of the wanderers and um you know the, there was a few guys we have to mention that sort of kept the the, the scoreline on one one um jack duncan in that first sort of 20 20 minutes i want to say 25 minutes where west Sydney wanderers were certainly on top and having a bit of a flurry um made some good stops and was a good presence in the box so big ups to him Towards the end of the match, Lawrence Thomas uh, was exceptional to, to, to keep it to 1-1, really kept Western Sydney Wanderers in there. 
And also, man of the match, Elton John for ruining the McDonald's <laughs> Stadium pitch. We have to rename that Southern Hill to the Elton John Southern Stair because that was genuinely like playing on one of those pitches where the penalty spot was a duck pond. Like everyone was falling over, tripping over. It was genuinely dangerous. And I think Christian, you sent out a tweet. I think I did as well. And I think we we're the only yeah. ones to notice that it was a horrible surface to put those players out then. And we've talked about, you know, putting players out at 3 p.m. on 30 plus degree days. We've talked about, you know, maybe the the stadium infrastructure, like looking at Hobart, North Hobart Oval, they played in down there, yeah. was really a poor pitch to to play football on. But this, from a well-established A-League field, was genuinely horrific. And uh, th- there's got to be some answers. And I don't think you can really hold the Jets wholly accountable for, for the, the danger on the pitch. Just because there was a bit of, you know, I think Venue New South Wales probably have to speak to this. And also, what about pregame pitch inspections? Like, I mean, that mm. that was pretty bad on that south end. Like, plays were slipping all over the place. They're, they're very lucky that uh, a long-term injury didn't eventuate from some of those slippery and slidey surfaces down there. No, I, I agree. And, you know... Obviously, you made the jokes about Elton John and the Supercross and and whatever, and you know that's that's great. But in 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 all seriousness, uh, point you know it was it was pretty uh, turgid and it was not a very good look at all. Um, watching it, I mean, honestly, Brandon Borello must have slipped about ten times in the first half alone. Seriously, like straight straight away from the outset, start of the game, he was slipping over. You could see the the mud like the, the turf ripping up um, as, as players were, were kind of, you know, running in it and things like that. There was one chance where Mbikoto had it on the right and he cut it back. And then Brendan Brello went to basically move towards the ball and he slipped over and it was literally so frustrating. Um, and yeah, it just, you know, I don't, yeah. I mean, Jack, it's a really good point. Like pre-game expe- inspections, like, you know, I don't, are you going to do pre-game inspections maybe? I, I don't really understand like i don't know wholly about the process around these things so i'm not gonna you know really speak too much to it but i will say you know you can't as a league accept a turf like that simple as that i mean you just can't it, it was absolutely shambolic um and you know yeah jack you're right lucky there wasn't any injuries because it very easily could have been um but let's let's get back to the football a little bit um because yeah you know the jets were better in the second half and they could have easily taken their chances but Two guys who we we always seem to uh, vent around because of their lack of lack of productivity and efficiency in the final third are Trent Bahadur and Josh Sotero, and you want to talk about them a little bit. I thought that, I mean, how many one-on-one chances can you give some players or almost one-on-one chances before they come up with something? Mm. And I think Becca Mikkeltesde, who was, I think, rather you know anonymous in this game, like, he didn't do much. I think that's down to the wingers we're playing because when they were through on goal, Becker's right there in behind him. And then one of those chances was Satirio where Claude thought he was offside, so he's just left him. And Satirio has the pace to get into the box quicker with no one around him. He has that pace. First off, didn't really use it. And secondly, like it's like he wanted a whole week to finish it. Like It's like he wanted Lawrence Thomas to roll out the red carpet for him to just run it over the goal line because... That's what happened. And then Bahaja, like he's really, really good until he gets into an attacking position, then he's crap. Like he just can't finish. And how long uh, is Papa's going to persist with these guys? Because it's not like the Jets can't have 
you know, other wingers there. Archie Goodwin has played left wing throughout his, you know, youth career and, and played left wing, um, I think, the end of last season um, with Moragas pushing up as a left back, who's another person that I think letting him go on loan to Phoenix was a horrible decision. Uh, but that's here nor there because right now we're getting a little bit of defensive solidity with Jenkinson and Yerman partnering up, I think, pretty good in centre-back. And, look, the thing is that we just don't have the finishes. We've got the pace on those wings with Satirio and Bahaja, but they have no end product. And that's the really frustrating thing about some of these results. And I think that it's time for Pappas to sort of go, all right, I need to think of something else. Daniel Steins, like... He's very good with the ball at his feet. He does have a boot on him. He can strike. And he can also really really put in a good cross. And he's a player that we recruited from Perth Glory that we should be using more of because, frankly, Bahaja and Satiria have not done enough to retain their starting spots. And also Archie Goodwin. He's played 57 minutes this season. Last season, it was looking like it was going to be between him and Qualls, the teenage wonders, and probably Ernesto Condo. Let's not forget him but um, looking to, you know, show their stuff this season. And he's just been completely frozen out by Pappas, um, whether that's to do with if there's an attitude problem, whether it's to do with his fitness, how he's developing. But I, I think it's time to give the kids a run. Daniel Steins and uh, Archie Goodwin need to get some minutes because Bahaja and Satirio are clearly not working and it's not the first time we're talking about them in being wasteful up front. Yeah, I mean, Satirio, he's he's reaching a stage in his career where I don't think we're really going to get any sort of progression in that stage of his game. Bahaja, he needs to be careful because, you know, you're starting to get to a point where it's just becoming too much of a habit with him. And it's probably one of the reasons, I guess, why Sydney decided to, to you know, go away from him and and, and that kind of experiment because he is, he is wasteful. Um, and one thing, though, I mean, Daniel Steins did start this game. But then he was the one that was taken off of Reno Piscopo. But more to the point, why is it Reno Piscopo starting games for Newcastle? In in my opinion, I mean, look, I, I get that he can be sometimes hot and cold and stuff. But this guy at his best at Wellington was was superb. He was one of the best wingers in the league. So I mean, I don't really understand why he's coming off the bench. To be honest, um, I I, I agree with you that I like how he's found a different role for Carl Jenkinson because he's you know he's a foreigner with a lot of experience, and I think you need to try and you know, mold him into a certain position somehow. And that right back, he just doesn't suit this team. I think I've spoken about that before. But um, yeah, the winger situation and how they're building that front line, Newcastle needs to needs to improve, I think. Um, because yeah, Beckham Mikkeltadze, I agree. He's not really getting the service that, um, you know, he 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 needs. He needs because he needs service. You know, we saw when Daniel Pena was there. He, he gets service, he scores. Simple as that. Um, so that's, that's really important, I think, as well. Um, and even... You know, you could even say like that the midfield makeup, you know, it's like Thurgate, Dartmelia, Steins, you know, there's no real like Stephen Yugaku had just gone to the Knicks. Uh it was gone went to the Wanderers and then has gone to the Knicks. You know, that they since he left, they haven't really been able to get Newcastle that proper number six who can hold down the fort on midfield either. Uh and if they did have that, then maybe that would give Dartmelia in particular more license to kind of roam forward and, and do what he wants as well. So yeah, definitely some things that Pappas needs to address long term. One thing that the Wanderers need to address short term is a striker, um, because they're creating, they look alright. You know, I think Rami Nazarene's getting a run of games, which is great. Uh, I didn't think, you know, I thought some people thought Daniel Wilmering had a good game. I didn't really think he was that great today, to be honest. But I think as well, um, you know, 
the problem is, is that Cassini Yangi and Milos Ninkovic were named in the initial squads this week, and then they must not have, you know, passed late fitness tests or something to actually make the squad. So obviously, when those two come back, that's going to be a big boost. But I mean, that's going to be dependent on Marco Rudin actually using Cassini Yangi in his preferred role up front, and I think he's going to have to do that because I don't really have another answer at the moment. Yeah, they've got Suleiman Kerpich, but um, I think the less said about his performance is the better because he's been pretty pretty shambolic as a signing. Uh, to be honest, with the Wanderers so far, um, so yeah, I, I don't. They didn't really have a strike on the pitch today, so that that kind of speaks to that issue, right? Um, and Yangi's really the only one, in my opinion, who, if he's fit and he gets back into the team, can play that role and play it well. Uh, so definitely, uh, Rudin actually did say, I think, in a recent press conference that that he wants a striker. So uh, watch that space for sure um, with the Wanderers. Okay, um, I think that's going to do it for our uh, review of the games. Um, and it took us like, what, like an hour and 10. So, um, yeah, probably a bit longer than we were, we were hoping for, but, um, now we're finally going to get into our mid season, uh, mid season, um, review and a mid season grade. So, um, we're going to go club by club, uh, as we said, and we're going to start bottom up and look, we've already touched on a couple of these clubs already. So we're just going to kind of briefly go over them and then give our grade. Um, how do we want to kind of do this? I think a is like outstanding, um, or do, do we want to do it grading to expectation? I think that's something, or or grading just a general grade. I think grading to to what was expected is probably a, probably the best way to do this, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I think if we could just generally speak to our own personal opinions on the performance, that's not an issue because I mean expectation will be factored into it, but also a, a certain team's expectations with what was going on preseason. I think there's interpretation there, and that's why I'm a little skeptical to go that way. But Christian, um, you're okay. Boss. You know what? I will just uh, judge the performances as I see them fit. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, we'll do a <laughs> outstanding, I guess. B um, pretty good. <laughs> C average. D below average, and E's like just woeful. So um, I'm gonna hand out my first E um, to to the bottom club in the league, Melbourne Victory, uh, and I will label their performances woeful um, because they have been. And we've already spoken to those issues around them not being able to, um, yeah, basically get a consistent starting 11 and Popovich's magic kind of wearing off on this team a little bit as well. And I think, obviously, look, we have to mention the Nanny injury, uh, of course, as well, um, because, look, I know Lewis Nanny wasn't fantastic necessarily when he played and he didn't have any goal contributions yet. But, you know, that is a player that they are paying significant money to. Um, and for him to go down with an injury is a big loss, I think, as well. And I think the other thing which we should touch on is Nick D'Agostino leaving because he's probably the only guy in that team who could consistently get goals. And now he's gone, and there's a big hole there. So I would say probably watch this space as well. Um, There was a statement recently by uh, Anthony DiPietro and Caroline Carnegie where they kind of addressed all the different issues that were happening at Melbourne Victory, um, which is probably another thing we could touch on in a minute as well. Uh, and in that statement, there was a brief mention of of Nanny's injury and, and how that they are looking into an injury replacement. So I think watch that space as well. Uh, and they probably will be signing, um, you know, some kind of replacement for Lewis Nanny too. Maybe that can bolster the team. But I mean, some of these guys too for victory, right? You know, Josh Belante is a shadow of the guy he was. Um, you know, they just the the centre back kind of thing hasn't working. Tommy Urich came off the bench, by the way, against Perth, which was just kind of random. Um, too, it's like, okay, where's he been? Um, as well, and yeah, you know, Ben Falami's not the same type of player he was. We already mentioned Jake Grimmer before. 
Uh, Noel Smith is now getting a run of games, which is which is great to see. But you know, um, he's keeping Cadet out of the team, which is you know probably not ideal from a Victor perspective. You probably wanted your Spanish import to play every game. So, um, Jack, I'll let you start. Uh, well, I'll let you give your spear when you're great on Victor as well. Oh uh, yeah, um, agree. The A is very fashionable for the victory at this point. I think they should probably wear it above their crest because they've been woeful both on the pitch and off the pitch. I think that, um, you know, it seeks to, they are stalwart in Australian football. Like they're, they're probably the biggest club in the country. You know, let's remember that. And, you know, to, to be in a position they are, not for the first time in the last couple of years, speaks to there, there's obviously a problem going on within that club. And, you know, whilst some people lament at that, I'm basking their glory because they never should have won a grand final against Newcastle. So I'm just going to say that because the bar went down and guess what? You know, you get an E for your troubles. So success. <laughs> Jesus. All right. <laughs> Uh, Matt, uh, your your grade. Yeah, the the Perth Glory B team. So you you know I, I think we should talk more specifically about the results. Um, you know, round one was probably their second best performance of the whole season, and since then, look, it's pretty obvious where the picture has been going. That was the the three two uh, win, the grudge match. Looked like at the time, ironically enough, two teams that were going to be top six battlers and loads of entertainment there. Not how those two teams have ended up playing come the mid-season points. So, you know, and, and then, you know, they've, they've had they've had home losses that have been really big. They've not been able to get any form at, at Amy Park, which, you know, you, you harken back to the the Marco Kurtz and the Grant Brebner days, um, you know, but they've they've actually had one anomaly in all of that. Sorry to do this to you, Jack, but there was the the 4-0 win when Arthur Pappas's um A Legs All Access was on. Um, and that was like, okay, victory are back. And and there was this yeah. narrative going, you know, that they're finally putting that big performance. Um, they got a one nil away win at, at Campbelltown's MacArthur, which I, I got to be honest, I look at the result on paper and I just, I don't, I don't remember it. It was a pretty anonymous game. I yeah. It was think. a Ben Falami late goal. Um, that one. There yeah. Go. There you go. But I mean, other than that, um, I mean, yeah, the losses have been, it's been pretty obvious what the issue um, has been they've been punished by that lost sides like the likes of Brisbane and now Perth. Uh, you know that they they managed to get that draw against Adelaide um, in round twelve. Um, lost away to Western United twice. I mean, I, I'm just looking at this and I think it's it's obvious to me that um, you know just just to harken back on what I essentially said before, it's clear that the dressing room has been been lost. And um and Popovich, you know, I just I don't know that he's necessarily gone and needs to be sacked or anything drastic like that. Um, but it, it's very obvious to me that second season blues are a serious problem with him, and it's it's actually really a profound effect. Not so much about the state of Melbourne victory, um, let alone the horrible things that are happening off the pitch now. Um, new new owners, um, hopefully coming about, but but just from a pure Tony Popovich perspective, I think he's being massively exposed and it's a really big shame for the Australian game as a whole, if I'm being brutally honest. Um, spiel over. E is the grade. More than obvious, not really much else to say. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, the only caveat I'd say for victory is that, look, they are six points off sixth and they've got a game in hand or, a you know, like I've said, a three-quarter game in hand, um, which they actually have a chance to... Uh, get points from uh, in the uh, replay derby uh, at some point that will take place. So, um, you know, it's not 
you know, the the be all and end all in terms of their season. Um, and they they still have a chance, I guess, of turning this around. But at the moment, with their performances, there, there's not much to be inspired by. Um, and I think, you know, we'll get to Sydney FC in a moment, but that big blue really could be season defining. Um, to be honest. So, all right, uh, Jack, let's turn to your boys, Newcastle Jets. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know exactly. I <laughs> I don't know. I think it might be too harsh to say woeful and give them an E. Um, I think probably a D below average is probably a bit more fair. I think because the, the weird thing about Newcastle is that they still have these moments where you watch them and you think, oh yeah, Pappas ball. Great. It's happening. Um, yet it just doesn't happen every week. And if it did happen every week, well then this team might be top four, right? Um, so yeah, we, we literally just spoke about them, so I'm not going to get into it too much, but I think, you know, the main thing with Pappas is, you know, I've gone on about this with Newcastle is that, the, the squad turnover has not helped, in my opinion. And I think them not being able to field a consistent team is is really a struggle. Um, and yeah, they need to finish their chances. That's that's the main thing. If they can do that second half of the season, then I'll give them a chance of making top six for sure. Um, but they've got to finish their chances and they can't concede cheap goals. Um, it's as simple as that. Uh, and it's it's easier said than done. The other thing we'll mention is, I guess, um, Jordan Elsie is, is going... Um, and he is expected to sign for Perth Glory um, as well on a two-and-a-half-year deal, which I'm sure Matt will speak to later when we talk about Perth. Um, but, yeah, it's just a weird one, I think, because I give him a D and not like a woeful because I think that there's not... I don't think it's like a they're a disaster. I think that they're not bad, and I think that they're just... It's the same recurring issues, yes, but... If they can get it right and they can string a couple of wings together, then you know that they've got a decent ceiling, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I agree, hundred uh, percent. As you can tell from my Melbourne victory assessment, I'm not unbiased when it comes to anything regarding Newcastle Jets. Um, I'm very much a Nova Castrian and proud of it. <laughs> However, um, I can agree that it's a D. Like they've been very much below average. Uh, there was circulations when we signed players like Kyle Jenkinson, when we signed Pisikapo, when you signed, you know, young, talented guys like Steins and Timmins, and then we signed Nata, and then we start, um, then, you know, we knew that, you know, Elsie and Yerm were going to be a part of the squad. There was, you know, a little bit of optimism um, injected at the start of the season. Some people were even saying that, hey, with Piscopo there, um, it's a, you know, pretty much a not a direct replacement for Pena, but at least, you know, someone who's just as much creative. And we just haven't seen him be either played in the role that he needs to be to be successful or play really that well. And, you know, it's a shame because, again, Newcastle Jets were inconsistent last season and they're always bashing on the door and never quite getting in there last season. But at least we got to watch some pretty exciting football with it. Like... Last season, box office Jets was trending all around soccer Twitter. And now this season, it's more like Babao Jets, you know, <laughs> just, you know, draw the curtain, shut it down. It's like it's like that uh, that movie House, you know, the disaster project at this point. Not that it's as bad as I'm probably um, hyperbolizing here, but in comparison to last season, at least we got to watch some pretty tasty flicks and tricks. Now we're sort of watching... Again, like we said, when we were assessing them against West Sydney Wonders, Josh Shatira and Trent Bahaja getting one-on-one and somehow not scoring. So, 
you know, uh, let's hope that it picks back up. Any team still within the hunt for top six, which maybe speaks to the mediocrity of the entire league at this point, besides maybe Melbourne City. But um, again, yeah, a D's very much, I think, a great assessment. All right, the D, the D for me is um, is probably again. Where I guess we're just gonna agree here and i think the issue is that this is probably going to happen 12 times but <laughs> look yeah um, I know. I'm, try- I'm trying to think that as well anyway. yeah 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 um i've already spoken about the jets on the minis uh here and there and i think it's just look jack jack you, you spot on um that reshaping from trying to heal what 21 22's problems were is been a fucking disaster for arthur pappas and the reason for it is that um the daniel pena shaped hole has def- has sort of mm. defined where the where the club are at Again, I could sit here and spiel, but that's just wasting everyone's time. To be honest, I think the the problems are obvious. And yeah, Jack, you've you've had you've had your say, so we can we can move on. Okay, uh, Sydney FC is next. Um, I'm going to go back to an E uh, for these guys, and the reason. So some might say it's maybe a D and not an E uh, because they're not in. You know, they've had a couple of these performances, and they're not like in that much of a dire situation. Maybe as Melbourne victory, but I do uh, to an extent. I'm going to grade teams to expectations. So I mean, for Sydney FC to be you know, um, look, they're only three points off the six if you want to look at it like that. But for that for that team to have four wins after thirteen games with the quality that they have on paper is 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 very woeful. So and I said E was woeful. So um it's an E for me. Um and I think looking at Sydney FC, I mean, it's just been kind of the the, the worrying thing I think for Sydney is that they've had games where they're actually just getting kind of played off the park as well, right? Um, you know, you look at Brisbane away, three one. Um, you look at, um, you know, MacArthur at home, 3-0. Uh, and no, now knowing what we know about MacArthur, that result kind of seems, wow, like a month later as well, um, you know. Um, so it's it's just even the Mariners away when they lost 2-1, I remember that game quite fondly where it was just uh, they took the lead and then just basically gave it to the Mariners uh, on a platter uh, to win it. So um, for, for a team of their experience to be having this many lapses in concentration is is, is quite incredible and, and you felt like the the wellington game was was one of the high you know the the games you highlight in their season so far where where basically the referees are rolling out a red, red carpet right for, for adam lafondra to to score and they still can't score and they still can't you know get something out of that game um and it's just been yeah, it's just been kind of one blow after the next. They had a good result against Melbourne City um, back at the start of December where they won 2-1 and you felt, okay, yep, that's a good result. They can do that. So it, it's a weird team because they still could on their day in a, in a big game turn up, right? And and they could still get a result, yet for the most part, they're giving up so many cheap points here and there that if you're a team that's in bad form and wants, wants points, you're going to look at Sydney FC and think, yeah, there's probably a mistake in them today and we can probably get at them and, and get something from this game. Um, so an E for me. I'll go with a D. I was going to agree with you there, Matt. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, so Jack, um, maybe we just talk back and forth about this um, to save a bit of time, um, to sway our, our opinions on the way. Look, uh, I think the mediocrity of the league is a point, Jack, that you made where Sydney probably could be playing an elimination final this year. It wouldn't surprise me. They they have the talent here or there where if the talent shows up really enough, it could happen. But what you're doing there is polishing a turd in all seriousness. Um, the expectation element and the stature of the club and everything, obviously, Christian, that's really big, but I don't want to look at it that way. I just want to look at it at this is Sydney and, and this is where they're at. Um, and this is the results that they're having. And, and you know, 
I just I just can't shake the feeling that like I'm looking at Ryan Grant, I'm looking at Adam LaFondra, I'm looking at Luke Bratton, like these guys, they're better than this. So if they can if they can show up, if they can be that spark, I mean, yeah, maybe there's something to take from this, but this is something's wrong and something needs to be addressed. And I I I believe the ailment to that is that fresh change. But um, Dylan Dylan was actually saying on Friday night that he doesn't think it will happen purely because they respect him respect Corica too much. And also the Sydney FC documentary that came out preseason in October, they very clearly st- oh, I was the cringiest thing I've ever seen. They very clearly stage a conversation where they're like, "Oh, should we sack Stephen Corica? Like, there's a lot of pressure here." And it's you think like, that was staged? Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. That was storyline. That was not actually shoot. still talking about it now, though. Sorry, Jack. I will. I will let you get to it. Um, yeah, but sorry. if that's the way that they they're still talking about it now, like yikes, man. <laughs> the club don't have a very rosy future. But yeah, Jack, take it away. What, what, what's uh, the assessment? Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. We're going to be, you know, probably agreeing on most things. But I feel like that the conversations we do have are along the same sort of manner. You're right in saying that on paper their side looks pretty good and their players just aren't playing as good as we probably expect them to. And that could well and truly be possibly down to the management. But again, I say D and not an E because last season they also finished outside of the top six. And I think that Sydney FC are closer to a final spot than they were last season. So if last season was going to be an E because, you know, obviously the, the perennial success that is Sydney FC fell off and went, you know, down, down, down. Um, just like Coles. Uh, <laughs> um, That's a cringe. This joke. is, uh, I, uh, it just came out. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> this is a D because it's a slight improvement, a very slight improvement, but not enough improvement. They're, they're sort of in a rebuilding phase. It's a weird, it's a weird place they are in their club's history. I think that we're going to see Sydney FC be um, take off very soon. I don't think we'll be under Corica, but I don't think they're going to be in this position for long. So, I think, you know, if we're going to do anything is probably just like sit here and laugh at them a little bit because, you know, it's fun to see Sydney FC fail. I, I find it and fun. You, and you don't, you don't <laughs> re, can I just just say to that though, Jack, you don't, you don't rebuild with the same management. So like that for me is, is just yeah, exactly. going to happen. Whether it's now, whether it's at the end of the season, who knows, but we know where the club is heading. And actually that's more of a reason for a D than an E. We know that at least they can rebuild and, and change things up and they might get lucky with the results here. So if they're smart enough, they're in a situation where they make an elimination final and they also sat Corica and just say, look, we need a, we need a fresh start. But they're Sydney FC and, and they don't really have a history of making that kind of move. So yeah, yeah it's mendable. Like that, that that's all we're saying. You know, you can mend some of the cracks, but um until you get rid of Corica, the the cracks are really gonna always be in the sort of foundation of that team. Well, I'm sticking to my E, so um, you know, too bad. Um and I'll just say I'll just say this as one kind of thing that Sydney as well can can take some positives from. I guess Lolly and Mac have looked all right you know, as, as foreign signings, and they could potentially lead a resurgence in the second half of the season. Okay, let's move on to Western United. Um, and I think if we had done this podcast four weeks ago, I would have given Western United a uh, flat-out E, 100%. Um, but I'll give them a D. Um, and, you know, if they continue over the next couple of weeks to to perform, you know, with, with a bit more defensive solidity and a bit more, um, you know, quality a bit more like the Western United championship winning team like we've seen of late then you know that could very easily turn to a C but um yeah I guess I guess a below average grade is is kind of fair because I think although 
look, th- this team winning the, the championship was a surprise, right? Um, but I do think what's been more surprising is how, you know, defensively frail they've been when that was, you know, the, the hallmark of their success. Um, you know, they, they've still got the worst defense in the league. They've conceded 24 goals um, and, the, you know, 24 goals in 13 games. They're almost conceding twice a game, um, which is which is unheard of if you watched last year's West United. Um, but, you know, what what was the, the key result for them um, when you look at, their season was that win in Wellington. That was a massive boost, right? When they when they turned that around, and I remember watching that, and and that was Diamante again with a with a massive goal to win the game, um, and it kind of speaks to what I was talking about earlier with with Diamante and what he can still provide for this team. So I think that they're of late they've been a bit better. They got absolutely out, you know, absolutely outclassed by Melbourne City recently, which still kind of showed that they're nowhere near the team they were last year. But I think Western fans can still be optimistic about this team finishing finals. Uh and I'm gonna give them a D, like I like I said. I know we don't grade this way, but I would be erring more like a D minus. Like I know I know that's yeah, yeah. me yep. just trying to sort of create the divide for the sake of creating the divide. But I I, I honestly this is actually a debate we can have um, because Jack says, well, look, Western are back on the way up. Western have had a few good results. I don't agree at all. I think it's it's painfully obvious that they're missing the finals. And maybe maybe that's just a stupid thing to say because of the mediocre, fickle nature of the table. And yeah, that, that's true. It is true in, in 11 out of 12 cases. Honestly, it is. But John Aloisi, he he really lucked out with that championship in, in the sense that the team stayed together and they knew what they needed to do and the individuals that they were relying upon were in fact reliable. It just hasn't shaped out like that. And that's where John and the rest of the team are really going to struggle to mold to be at that level where they want to be. There's not been enough signs for me that that is actually going to reach its turning point. You say the Wellington result was a turning point. I think it wasn't, if anything, an anomaly. Four wins. I honestly, if you had asked me how many wins Western United have off the top of my head, I'd have probably said two or three. Four, four does seem like a lot, and even the fact that they're in ninth, I think again, it it actually, it actually surprises me to be honest. I feel like they're still performing at that level where, where they're closer to sort of Melbourne victory levels, and uh, and are at you know that 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 sort of E grade level. Um, but they have, I guess, turned things around a little bit. Um, you know, results basis, we don't really need to talk about it because we've sort of had that conversation. I just think that on, on the whole um as they're, as they're viewing it i think that if anything that they're going to decline a bit more but feel free to disagree um jack yeah i'm, I'm just gonna one sec i'm just gonna interject because you know i agree um to an extent because they are still you know they, they still look really average at times in these games yet in the last six games they have only lost once and they have won funnily enough they've won three of those games one nil which is the 1-0 Western United FC kind of thing. So if you want to look at that perspective, they have been better um, to an extent. But needing I, Diamante, I, sorry, Christian. Yeah. Needing Diamante to step up in a game yep. like that, like what mm. we've just seen, that's different though. It's a different 1-0. True. That is true. Um, but I, I just mean it's better than what we saw, right? Remember when we did the first mini, right? When they lost to Melbourne City and it was like, what the fuck was that? Um, and it's like, okay, is Leo Lacroix like done? And it's like, well... Actually, maybe Leo Lacroix still hasn't really improved, though, uh, to be honest. And then Priovic is still an uncertain situation. Um, so they're a team which I think over the next three to four weeks, it either kind of, it's it's kind of a false dawn, this kind of recent, you know, uh, 
upturn of results and and they just kind of go back to what they were at the start of the season and eventually fizzles out and they finish 10th 11th whatever um or who knows they find some inspiration um you know they've got you know the likes of Noah Botic and some of these other guys that they can bring in to to freshen up the team a little bit as well um and and they could kind of turn their form around but um Jack well I'll let you give give your spill and your grade and then we'll move on to the next team um I just like to just really quick grade D um I think that it's not, you know, a few weeks ago. It could have been an E. Uh, but, again, no, I'm going to disagree with Matt. I think they've, you know, built a little bit of form. I'm not saying it's, you know, they're, they're flying. I'm not saying that they're, they're going to gonna supersede a lot of teams above them. All I'm saying is that they've improved, and that's good to see because it could have been so much worse. And another point I'd like to make is that I feel like some of the games they – lost not the heavy losses but some of the more drawish slash you know um earlier losses could have been helped if they played a little bit more of milanovic i think that it's a shame that we haven't seen more of him this season i think that really lucky wales doesn't help that team a lot to be honest i haven't seen lucky wales do a lot in the position he's playing and i think if milanovic got his opportunity and john aloisi i think maybe was a little bit more courageous in playing some of the younger players like Botic, like Milanovic, maybe some of Western United's, I suppose, uh, pitfalls could be look a little bit more. But again, as I'm saying, that's paradoxical because it's like, you know, shining up a, a, a turd, like Matt Olsen eloquently put with Sydney FC, you know, start playing the kids, it, one nil losses or, or draws that aren't, willing of a defending champion start to look better but you know i i just i just think that maybe we might be speaking about western united in a in a more positive manner in the next couple of weeks but it could obviously go completely other way as well because we have not seen them build really consistent form yeah, and then we've got the uh, A-League Access. The next one is John Aloisi as well uh, this week. So that should be interesting to um, to get an insight into, into what's going on there as well. Uh, okay, let's move on to Brisbane Raw. They are the team that's eighth at the moment. Um, 10 goals, 10 conceded, 7 draws, 0 goal difference. I think it speaks to an average team, and that's why I'm going to give them C. Um, and I know... Look, maybe you guys would disagree with that and maybe give them a D. Um, but I, I think... I don't know. I think that they're they're just kind of a they're they're a middle of the pack team, right? So I just think that they they they're not they're not great, but they're not bad. Um, and I think that speaks to a C grade. Um, and they're just yeah, there's there's so many of these games for them. Um, which which could have easily been won as well, right? Um, and they had the Austin situation, of course, and and he's gone. Uh, I've personally I've got to take that. I think they're a much better team without Charlie Austin. Um, and I think that if they can get a different you know, like I said earlier, if they can get a different profile of striker, foreign striker, um, who can come in straight away and score goals, that would be huge for this team, in my opinion. But, I mean, you look at how many games, right? You know, a nil all against MacArthur to start the season could have very easily just got a goal and turned that into a one nil. Um, you know, so there's that one there. You know, they, they went to the Wanderers away in round three, one all draw. Uh, a victory at home was a nil all um, as well. You know, they got lucky against Adelaide in a one-all where they probably didn't deserve to win and they got a last-minute um, penalty to, to equalize. Um, but, yeah, 
there are so many games uh, for this team where you, you could have easily just said, I mean, you got seven draws. If half of those were wins, then this team could be fourth, right? So, um, but, but they're not, and that's the reality. So I think for them, if they are going to be making some signings in January, they're going to need a striker um, as well. Yep, they got Majok, the young kid, um, but I don't think he's going to be, you know, the, the, the absolute uh, final answer to, to what they want to do going forward. So I think for, for Brisbane, they need to be careful because they're in a position where if they don't start turning these results into wins quickly, then, you know, it's just kind of becomes this mediocre season where you peter out and you finish eighth or ninth, right? Um, and I don't think Raw fans are going to be pretty happy with that, um, particularly with, I guess, the, the already animosity that they have towards the ownership group and what's going on there behind the scenes. So um, controversial, clearly. Uh, I'm going with a B. Very Hit controversial. Yeah, it is. No, no. Yeah, what the hell, Matt? That, that's a very, that's a very good that you're giving Brisbane Raw. Yeah, that's a that's a good. I understand. That, I understand right? this. Just, just hold on. Just hold on. Just hold on. Think about how much the picture has changed. Think about how much this, how we view this team now compared to how mm. we were viewing them in round two, round three, round four, and so on and so forth. I even said I think as late as round five or six on one of these minis, this team is a disaster and they've got nowhere to go. They don't. They. Mm-hmm. So, so let, let, look look at it this way. You're looking at it from the, these are seven draws. What if those draws are win? I'm looking at it as the Brisbane draw that we were seeing, all of those drawn games were probably going to be 2-0, 1-0 losses. They have found a way to change that. They have, they have fundamentally put themselves in a position where they are blocking teams out and they're playing good football. <laughs> Think about this. Of the teams that have lost three or less games, you have Melbourne City, you have Western Sydney Wanderers, Wellington Phoenix, and back in eighth, you have Brisbane uh, at three at three losses. The, the the other teams on that list are objectively good football teams who who know how to how to how who have been in a position where they're grinding good results, right? And 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 I'm scrolling through the results. And I'm looking through all the results. I'm looking through the history of it. How many one one draws? How many uh you know games where they've been in a position where the game hasn't been high scoring because they've pushed teams out of it? Name the Brisbane Raw game in the 2020-23. Wow, I've just butchered that, but the 22-23 season where it has been a high-scoring, really entertaining game of football. It doesn't exist, and it doesn't exist by design. So that's where I think my my view on this has changed and adapted because this team have actually molded a lot of their problems into where they can be a competitive and a good team. Um, so those draws, look, they, they might genuinely finish the season with like 15 or 16 draws, but it's by design. And that's what's keeping them competitive. So I'm actually I'm actually full steam ahead looking at the way that they've adapted and changed. And that's why for me it's a a positive result and it's a it's a B. Yeah, that's right. Um so they, they do have only three losses and, and Melbourne City have only uh, one <laughs> loss as well. I don't know why that came out of my mouth. <laughs> Matt uh, Oprah Olsen. Yeah, yeah. Born. Um, Born. But, <laughs> um anyway i i think look if i could just counter just slightly why if i could pose this to you okay i i get that i get what you're saying because okay we thought this team was a disaster after five six rounds but we thought western united were a disaster after five six rounds and they're one place below brisbane so do you understand yeah yeah, and and i've and i've said the complete opposite haven't i but yeah look at hold on actually dissect the table for for just a quick second western united Mm -hmm. have actually won more games than brisbane look at the goal difference (laughs) There's a very there's a very clear distinct difference yeah. there. There is no, there is a, a negative eight compared to a zero goal difference. They've only conceded ten goals. You just said that yourself. That's I, just, no, no, I know, I know. But what I'm saying, what I'm saying, Matt, is, what I'm saying, Matt, is there's two ways you can look at this. Okay, 
Brisbane bring in a, Brisbane need a striker because they need to score more goals. Clear. Clear as day, right? Simple yep. as that. Okay. But if they bring in a striker, is that going to turn them into a team which is going to be the finished article or is that just going to make sure that they don't fall out of finals contention? So I think there's a there's a real balancing act here for them. Yeah, uh, and, and, fair, and fair enough. But I, I think the balance that they have had, and again, Christian, just look retrospectively. We thought we thought they were a fucking disaster. We thought they were the Melbourne victory or the Western United. Yep. Yep. That change is the reason why I grade them so highly because they have mm. adapted. But mm. that's that's obviously it's just it's just a you're looking at the full picture. I'm looking at I'm looking at it retrospectively, and that's why we we differ so. Much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. And and I and I get that. I get that. I just think I'm looking at I'm looking at that record and thinking if if the greatest C is an average team, well that they really do define an average team from a results standpoint, purely, purely from a results sure. standpoint. Um, Jack, let's bring you in, give your spiel and your grade with Brisbane, and then we'll move on. Uh, Brisbane, C, because they're average. And I think that... Boom, I won last... Jack over. There we go. <laughs> well, uh, I sort of had it on my head before, but then I think, Matt, like you do make a solid argument with with the, the statistics you're bringing up. But in terms of you know, what you're seeing on the park, it's just average football played by an average football team. I mean, you can, again, you can look at stats and you can look at all these extended statistics, but if you sit down to watch a Brisbane Royal game, you're in for an average contest. And that's why I'm going to give them a seat. That's that's the only research, the only, the only point of reference I'm going to do. Maybe that's, you know, falling into vibes-based analysis territory, but I get an average vibe from them. I get a you know a medium rare steak that's accidentally cooked uh, really well overdone. So yeah. <laughs> Holy shit! There have been so many random. What, the, what was that the analogy? Podcast. That was different. That was that was different. Okay, um, <laughs> let's move on and let's round out the bottom six. Perth Glory are next. Um, hmm, Perth Glory. This is an interesting one because. I don't think it's hard to class them as average, right? Um, because of this recent up to I'm gonna look, I am gonna give them a C, not necessarily because they're an average team. I think because giving them a B I think giving them a B would give them too much credit for the fact that they've won all their games at home. <laughs> um so which which I understand. Like they can only, you know, face the games that are in front of them. If their games are at home, that's fair enough. But I do I think we need to be cautious about how we judge this Perth team until you know, they get back to being on the road a bit more again and we actually see what they're like away from home. Because I think, and Matt, you can speak this a little bit, but I think Perth fans have kind of said this where, you know, Perth kind of acting like let's just kind of get our home wins and hope that kind of carries us through isn't a great solution for them long-term, right? So I think I'm going to give them a C, um, but I do think had they, you know, been a bit better at the start of the season away from home, that could have easily been a B. I think they're in a really good spot at the moment. We already spoke about that a little bit. Um, Ruben Zakovic has got this team buying into what he's doing. Um, and my main thing is let's wait and see what they do away from home. They've got Wellington next, uh, which is going to be on the road. So, you know, it's a distance derby. So no no better way than to kick off, um, you know, away from home form uh, by by winning that one. So, uh, Matt, I'll let you give give your grade and your spiel. Um, but for me, it's a, it's a C. Um, it's like a C plus if, if you want to use the plus minuses again. Uh, in the interest of time, I won't uh, go on the original rant that I had proposed. Um, make it that what you will. Um, but I think, again, just results-based analysis is uh, sometimes a negative trait, but I think it gives context here, right? So 
And again, when you when you look at the earlier uh, results of those initial away games, they obviously uh, you know grinded out that incredible win, uh, the two one win against the Mariners. The Jets game was a funny one because they did they played really well and did 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 enough to draw it, but then had that really big fuck up and uh, and conceded right at the end of the game, uh, which was win for the Jets on the day. And I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, okay, well, well, a lot of that actually was was down to certain individuals. Um, in 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 those cases, I think you have to look at the fact that Ruben has actually made tactical changes. He's tinkered a lot with the team, and he's brought in talent um, to change that around. So if he's done that and it's worked well to adapt with the team, then then they're on the up and up. But you can't you can't grade them highly because of obviously what we're yet to see. So that's where I think the C the C has to be a bang on grade because we've seen their very best. We've also seen. They're incredibly, uh, you know, poor sides. So, yeah, I mean, uh, again, for me, um, it's it's really tough because I am so emotional about it. <laughs> um, but I think, yeah, you know, with with where the team are at, and I think this is the, probably the most important part that you could you could say here is that the tipping point, the tipping point of their season, and where they go to from here, it actually hasn't happened yet, so we can't talk about it. Mm. So I think this result coming up, this game coming up away in New Zealand is huge, not just because of the huge distance, but because if they want to prove that they can be the real deal away from home, this is the game where you grab it because it's not at Sky Stadium for a start; it's in Simpalston. So they're going away to a game where there won't be the atmosphere there, where it won't be a Wellington home game in the traditional sense. And that's where the occasion is there for them to, to go and make the most of it. So that's what I would just speak to um, more more broadly. Again, I, I, I'm, I don't want to drag this on for too long, but I just, just want to speak to the fact that, you know, a lot, a lot of people in the community, um, a lot of personal friends of mine that support Perth, a lot of them just straight up gave up and fans were boycotting and a lot of people were were just jumping away for one reason or another of various frustrations that they have off the pitch. Now they're entitled to that, but it's made me personally in my life feel like you know my my friends and a lot of people, especially me, are running away from this and they don't care anymore. And for us to to actually get this home form going for Macedonia Park to be the fortress that it has, it actually it really really touches me quite a lot to see that that the form has turned around and that Ruben Zankovic is being proven more as a manager. So I'll leave it at that. Um, but I think there's more to come and uh, a lot more to look out for with Perth. Yeah, um, Matt, that was terrifically put, to be honest. Um, in terms of the grade, C+, plus, I think they're slightly better than Brisbane Raw. I actually think in some of their losses and draws, Perth Glory have looked better than than Brisbane, and that's why I'm rating them slightly higher. I think that um, I think the Jets game, like I was there at the stadium, and that was a very entertaining game to be at a stadium uh, because uh, Jordan Elsie fly kicked someone, and that was, you know, funny. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, we're 90th minute winners are always good. It's the only time I've seen Soteria likely to score to be this season. Anyway, um, basically C+, plus because in their losses and draws, they have looked better than Brisbane Raw, and that's all I'm putting it on. Yeah, okay. Um, all right, that's that's interesting. Um, you've, you've graded them against Brisbane Raw, um, which is a which is a different way to do it. But but I, I but I understand it. I understand. I'm, gra- it. I'm grading okay. on a bell curve. You know what I mean? Like you know, yeah, 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 yeah. School. Right? Yeah, yeah. I see it. I see it. Um, all right. Uh, but but for Perth, what I just wanted to touch on was so coming up, they've got Wellington away. Okay, yes, 
that's the big one. Then they've got another three at home, which is interesting. Um, you know, so I mean, <laughs> it's another run of home games. Um, but then they go on the road, you know, for for I think after that, so that's Wellington away. Then it's three home games. Then it's uh, let me just quickly have a look. Then it's four of the next six are away. So uh, actually, five of the next seven. My apologies are away. So to end the season, it's actually going to be relying on their away form, and that's why. I agree with Matt where the tipping point hasn't been reached yet and you don't know what this team really is yet until they are actually fronted with the most important period, which is going to be that away period to end the season. Um, so, And what's interesting is you've got... These are the teams who are actually playing away from home to finish, which is interesting. Brisbane Roar, Western United, Newcastle, Melbourne Victory and, Perth, and uh, Sydney FC. Those are the five games they have away from home. So if you actually said that ahead of the season to a Perth fan, they would actually go, ah, oh, shit. You know, okay, Brisbane and Newcastle, maybe we can get points there, but really Western victory in Sydney away. Don't know about that. They're probably scheduled losses. Now you're looking at it and you're thinking, okay, Perth, we, you know, Brisbane, Western, Newcastle, we could easily beat them away from home, right? And then victory in Sydney, it's not a case of easily beating them because I guess they've got the stature and they've got the quality on paper, but, you know, it's no better time to play them than right now. So um, obviously this is now looking to March kind of April areas. So who knows what, what, situations those teams are going to be in but uh yeah glory's d-day and and they're they're defining you know uh weeks in the season have not have not been met yet so um going to be very interesting okay let's get into the top six um this is taking a lot longer than uh than i think what i was expecting uh and let's get into macarthur um so i think what's happened this weekend probably impacts this grade a little bit uh, um so i, I don't yeah, I, I was going to, I think a C minus, you know, if we're, if we're going to use the plus minuses, because I think now what's coming out around the, um, around the, you know, the Dwight York situation and stuff probably means that, yeah, okay, this team is average from what we've seen actually in terms of on the park, but this has very much got the, got the potential to turn into a, to turn into a, you know, below average team very quickly, um, particularly if, you know, whoever's coming in, apparently Milos Tijovsky is coming in and, and he, you know, doesn't have the ability to to kind of unlock unlock the best out of Ulysses Tavia, uh, you know, Arabuli, these types of guys. Um, one of the key things I think for MacArthur heading the season was Daniel Azani and what he was going to kind of bring to them. And in recent weeks, and, and you guys discussed this on the mini, but he hasn't really you know, being able to feature that heavily. I think he had tonsillitis this week, which which factored into that and he didn't train. But there were weeks before that where he was on the bench and this sort of thing. So um, for them, you know, they're another team really who hasn't really sorted out, you know, their best team. Um, and to, to speak to something you guys were talking about earlier, you know, they are um, a team which is relying a bit too much on individual quality. Um, and they need to really stick to what they want to do week in week out and and go from there um but they are a strange team because they're six right now but they are with a negative two goal difference um and for a team which is which was you know so easy on the eye in the australia cup run uh from an attacking sense they've they've only scored 16 goals um in in 13 games so um it's it's definitely a team which is at it that they are probably at their tipping point now because now they've lost their manager and we're going to see what this team is really made of when the new manager comes in. I can't help but absolutely agree. I was going to say that if we're talking about Perth Glory as C plus C, 
right? Um, and their D-Day hasn't really come yet, and their D-Day comes from their waveform because they've been at Macedonia Park. MacArthur's D-Day is next week when they have a new coach and they have a fresh outlook. And, I again, we've talked about this before, but it's a team that's lacking identity. Um, I think there's no real, you know, tactical identity that sort of pulls through when they do win. Usually they win due to individual performances and you can't rely on that the whole season. So I can't help but exactly agree. I'm going to give them a C. Not quite as good as Perth Glory, mainly because Perth Glory, I think, have more of a tactical identity and a bit of camaraderie around them. But the D-Day is, I think, next week. They're at home against Western United. It's a game that they can win. And from their league position, they should win, in my opinion. So uh, I think that uh, once we see them with a new coach against a team that they can get three points off, uh, is really going to see if they're going to build any sort of consistency and identity through this season. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, Matt, your your spiel, your grade. Uh, yeah, short spiel here. Um, since the very day that they started in 2021, what the fuck have this team been? Like, like the lack of identity um, on and off the field, um, the lack of consistency, like it just, it just, the mediocrity um, from every which way is just astounding to see. And there's another chapter that is uncertain forthcoming. So for me, like I just, all I can actually say is that I'm visibly confused and will continue to be confused um, in terms of the positives or picking something out. Um, you know, if, if Stajowski uh, gets his gets his time in the sun to be a manager and, you know, to, to reflect on the earlier conversation, can be that local manager to get the DNA, to bring things forward, to be a bit of a Warren Moon type, to, to be honest. Um, that's where, you know, that's where the, the club starts to form its identity. But there's just too much going on. And, and the one thing I will say is that it's a big shame because they're actually starting to get a passably okay home crowds. They're starting to get home crowds of sort of four or five K that have, that have come. And, it's at the worst possible time, to be honest, because <laughs> Dwight York was supposed to bring the team forward and, and get them playing this beautiful football. Mm. And it has turned into another MacArthur story of blatant mediocrity. So for that, I almost want to go with a D, but that would be unrealistic because of where I've sort of put Brisbane and Perth that as well. But I don't know. I, the future is uncertain. So I have to say, I see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's just another team where the results kind of are just all over the place again. Um, because I've had games where that you know they lose four one at Wellington, they get thrashed four nil against the Wanderers, yet they thrash Sydney three nil. Um, you know they even back in round two they kind of comfortably beat Adelaide two nil. So it, the results are all over the place. One thing that if you want to look at maybe maybe you could kind of foresee the the York um, dismissal coming is after Christmas. Um, you know they had a four nil loss to the Wanderers. Beat Newcastle two 0 okay, but then those last two games against the Mariners and Adelaide, they they looked really off it. Um, and what was really astounding was that when Adelaide went down to ten, you know Macarthur just couldn't really break them down uh, at all. And then and then Jake, Jake Holman uh, made a stupid decision, which which got himself sent off as well in that game. So yeah, I think just another mediocre team. Okay, hopefully now no, I think we've got one more mediocre team probably to get into, and then maybe in the top four we might start to talk a little bit more positively about some of the teams in the A League at the moment. But Adelaide United are next at fifth. Um, now this is this is going to be an interesting one, I guess, uh, for me since since I've seen a lot of these guys uh, this year. If you ask me this question before the World Cup, 
um, Adelaide would have been, you know, like a B plus um, for sure. But it's actually been just quite astounding how bad they've been um, since the World Cup break. And I don't know, you know, you always talk about that old narrative where it's like, okay, you don't want, you know, we, we don't want to stop playing because we're playing so well. But you never think it would actually come to fruition so much. Um, and it really has for this team because they've looked completely a shadow of themselves. Um, I believe they've had four red cards since the World Cup break, which is another narrative that finally has had late season, the disciplinary issues. Um, some of them uh, unjust, but but to be honest, most of those red cards were just and, and it's something they really need to address as a team. Um, but yeah, the, the other thing for Adelaide, which is which is becoming a kind of dominant feature um, of of the team selection as well, is is Calviet's inability at the moment to to unlock this midfield um, and to really give this team, um, you know, it, I guess it's another identity problem where they can't really week in week out play in a way which which excites fans um, at home for sure, um, and they're just having they just have odd games where they go to the Mariners and, and get thrashed four nil. And it's like, sorry, um, what, you know, what performance was that? Uh, you know, and they look, they look absolutely terrible. So I don't really know for them where, where this is going to end up. Um, but what I do know next is that they've got Melbourne city away. Um, and it's, you know, they got the one nil win on Friday. Yep. It was unconvincing though. Uh, and they haven't really, they still have not looked great uh, since the World Cup break, and now they're facing the best team in the league. Um, now my grade for Adelaide, I think, is still going to be it's going to be a C plus uh, as well, um, which which might be a little bit harsh, but I think now knowing now what we know about this team uh, since since watching them since the World Cup break, I think they are now getting more to the average stage and not to the you know very good kind of B area. So a C plus for me. Yeah, um, I think something has to give with the whole Louis Dorigo one day uh, mm. type scenario. That and that for me unlocks Adelaide's potential. Um, if I'm being brutally honest, and I, I hear you and Antonis talk about it all the time, and I just yeah. wholeheartedly agree that the, the mid the midfield is at the heart of their problems. Um, although that being said, definitely uh, the centre back situation. I mean, what what what's what's going on there, Christian? It's um, the the centre back situation. Yeah, it's pretty dire. Yeah, well, um, obviously Alex Popovich was suspended this week, um, and then you've got Lockie Barr had a, a bit of soreness. Um, then Ben Wallen comes back in; he's finally fit. He's got knee strapping, and then he goes out now because he's been suspended. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick Ansel's this one of these weird players um, in the A League where he's just been kind of nomadic for not nomadic, but but mystery man for the last kind of twelve months, and then he and he came in and he looked alright actually on Friday um, from from all reports. But yeah, that. They have had real issues with with getting a team together because they are getting red cards every <laughs> every week. I don't I don't yeah. know if this this whole scenario. I mean, it clearly is a discredit to Carl Viet, but the thing that the thing that just speaks to me is like no matter how how dire the situation can get in terms of the eleven changing around and the mediocrity and of itself, they never drop. They never go down. They never have that moment where they're yep. really really bad. Yep. Just in terms of the day, the the sort of big big picture performance because on the day-to-day they can have the really bad days out where they get flogged but it doesn't mean that they'll be spending periods down the bottom of the ladder they're always they always seem to be like a solid kind of elimination final semi-final team and i think that's a really good position to be in but you need to be able to push yourself to the next level it's clear that colviet doesn't do that so the question for adelaide is how the fuck do you do that how do you do it so that's it that Adelaide really um grade uh yeah see 
Yeah. So if I could just speak to that, you kind of yeah that they never kind of I guess drop out of the top six in a, in a sense, right, Adelaide? That that's a that's an interesting point. I think though the feeling in in I guess Adelaide circles and South Australia is that Adelaide have always been a team you know that's actually been really competitive in the A League, um, and they've never really had seasons where you know there's very very few seasons in their history where they've just been a shambolic team uh losing you know pretty much every week and finishing eighth ninth tenth these these sorts of positions they've always been a competitive finals team and in some cases uh been a top two top three team so i think the expectation in adelaide is always it's probably unfair in a sense because you know and and Calvert's already said this recently where like it's not like they can't improve the squad in january they don't have funds he said so so like people look at Adelaide and they think, oh, they should be doing better because of their past success when maybe it's a little bit harsh because the club situation is not anywhere near as well off as Melbourne City, Melbourne Victory, Sydney FC, these guys. Um, what I would say, though, and this is a fair criticism, and you talked about the Juande thing, is Isaias thing, and it's a fair criticism because Adelaide are going away from something which they made so so fruitful uh, for many years, which was their youth development, and they're, they're doing it by blocking the likes of you know, um, Johnny Yull, uh, which is the player me and Antonis mentioned a lot, um, the likes of Louis DeRigo, uh, Ethan Alligich has made a few appearances here and there, but, you know, he needs more game time, in my opinion. And, you know, Isaias is a shadow of the player he was. It's, it's as simple as that. So I think that the problem for Adelaide and the reason why they're getting a little bit scrutinized, you know, um, a bit more extensively at the moment is that they are kind of limiting youth opportunities. And that is something which when Adelaide fans see that they get frustrated with and it's going to, you know, become even more frustrating when they're not getting results. So, um, yeah, I think that was just a point I wanted to make. But, uh, Jack, you are uh, you can give your grade. I'll give it short, just on the essence of time, because we've been seeing you so long that one of my wheels, my chair has broken. So that's great. Um, Adelaide United still living in the C senior period. And with that, I'm going to give him a C. I, was, was, that play, was that a players in like C, but also the letter C? But oh wow, that was incredible, Jack. C, senor, C, senor. Far out. Uh, so. That's good. That's good. All right. Uh, okay. Now we can get into I guess a bit more of the uh, bit more of the positive um, grades teams. Now we're starting to get into more of the B A range. Um, Wellington Phoenix fourth uh, in the table right now, um, and this team kind of just continues to defy expectation um in my opinion and they do it because they recruit really well they've got a top manager um they know what they want to do week in week out i mean it's all the things it's actually all the things we've been saying that these other teams need to do <laughs> um and wellington do it week in week out they get results they don't i think the other thing is they don't panic like there, there's another thing like zawada didn't start great and it's kind of like oh you know zawada like you know, how's he going to go as a signing? And yet now look at him. Like he, he's come on, he's come on a bomb, and he looks fantastic. That you know, um, and Wellington, uh, Bozidar Kryev has been superb. Uh, he's kind of like in a similar mold to like a Selim Khalifi as well. Like just just really technical, really exciting foreign players that you want uh, in your team as well. Um, and and this team now, Wellington, they they they've reached a stage under Ufuk Tale where you can't take them, you can't take them lightly. And if you do, okay, you're probably going to lose. Um, so they're now fourth. Um, they they've picked up 20 points from 13 games. Look, they've only won five games though of that 13, which is which is an interesting point though. Um, you know, uh, which speaks more to the competitiveness, I guess, of the league this year. Um, yet they're two points off second. So, uh, for Wellington to to be in this position. 
um, when when we know the struggles that they've had in years gone by um, is is you know is is very impressive. Um, and I'm gonna give them, I'm going to give them a uh, look. I'm gonna give them more of a B minus if I can use the minus because I don't think they're you know set in stone a very good team because I do think you know they they have won five out of thirteen. It's not like they've won seven or eight. Um, so um, in saying that, they've only lost three. Um, so I'll give them a B minus, but definitely it's a team which is uh which has done very well this year. Yeah, I think um like I'm I'm sort of I'm 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 in the same same sort of um position because I'm looking at, at sort of the mediocrity and I they haven't shaked it, so they're not at that level. But the thing is, like it, there was a little while there where it looked like the Ulfuk Tale era was sort of coming to an end and, and there was a something that was gonna have to phase in um to try and turn turn the team around but the, the, the fact is for the entirety of the decade of the 2020s the phoenix have been an, an entertainment machine like mm. and, and there's been there's been good vibes around the club um being away from home coming back home you know just just the culture around at the foundation of the women's team Knicks fans just seem to really enjoy the club at the moment and that's that's objectively a good thing um and Ufuk Tale, you know i i just i'm i know this is weird but the the um unfolding situation with the old whites management if it happens to be that Ufuk Tale becomes 2026's R- Ricky Herbert and he, he manages to stay with the old whites and by extension just stays with New Zealand football and the Phoenix the entire time they could become the next Sydney FC Melbourne City they they genuinely could because because what he does he is a really big part in making that in making that club the big force that they are. They've brought in an Aussie guy who again comes from this NPL background. We're saying it again. And and he just he just understands it. He understands the game. He understands the types of recruitment that you would need, let alone all the people in there with various amounts of experience that are at the heart of the club. People like Chris Greenacre, who was a, a Knicks legend, all whites legend. And as I actually I don't actually know that that's true, but I, I, you know, he's obviously a big part of New Zealand football and the way that they've molded this culture into the club seemingly overnight after all the Mark Rudan shit happened. You just, you have to, you have to applaud it. So I feel like this, they're knocking on the door, but the mediocrity is still coming in waves. And also just a shout out to Boston Akraev. So a very, very good friend of mine who I've met through the football community named Logan Smith. He is a staunch Danish Superliga fan where Boston Akraev played for uh, FC Michelin. And he was very, very familiar with Krayev's name. And he said, I'm 50-50 on this, but if he turns out to be class, it's going to be because no one's expecting it from him. And that's exactly what occurred. No one expected Krayev to be this quality signing and and he's turned out in that way for the club. And he's just one of those weird characters where like there's not enough on his name, but he'll step up and he'll be that total rock for them. So it's a, it's a really big testament to the recruitment, yes, but also the consistency of Talley's management and the entire vibe around the club. So they're knocking there, but you still have to give them a C. Um, and that five win stat is probably at the heart of that. Yeah. Well, I'm going to give them a B because they have the exact record of Western Sydney Wanderers. And yes, I'm comparing clubs against other clubs, and maybe that's not the correct way to do it. However, um, five wins, five draws, three losses is the exact same um, exact same record as Western Sydney Wanderers. And I think they're playing better football than Western Sydney Wanderers, also in terms of the style and, you know, if I were right now to to see Western Sydney Wanderers take on the Phoenix, I would be leaning towards a Phoenix win. Uh, so for that reason, I'm going to probably give them a B, actually B plus. I'm going to agree with Christian there because uh, I think they're a B plus sort of team. Um, I like I, I said recruitment. B minus, lol. Did you say B minus? 
Yeah. Ah, well, then I wholeheartedly disagree. And I'm actually <laughs> insulted that you would rate them that low. How that? No, I'm just kidding. I thought you said B minus. So that's on me. Uh, B plus just because I thought they'll finish ninth. That, that was my preseason expectation for them. And they've superseded that expectation. And for that reason, I think that it's, you know, bearing down the grade of an A. If they can get some consistent form and, you know, potentially be a top three, top two team, then you sort of have to call an apple an apple. Yeah. So I think the reason why people think we always go on a season with Wellington. We think, okay, yeah, they're going to finish eighth, ninth because they they brought, they make these foreign signings, and you're like, oh, who the hell's that guy, right? Yet now, I think like next year, um, if they sign, if they're gonna, there's gonna be some kind of turnover, um, you know, and they're gonna sign some new foreigners. I I would be confident about them if I was a Knicks fan because these guys are getting it right, you know, year in year out at the moment. Um, and the Talley news is a big part of that as well. If the Talley news drops, huge, huge. Yeah, and I think that, you know, whatever they're doing, you know, uh, uh, someone should do a story on it. But, you know, whatever they're doing in terms of their recruitment, um, you know, behind closed doors, what I'm saying is kind of talking to the club and, and getting a sense of what their recruitment team does and how they and they, how they kind of, you know, go about that process, obviously, you know, without giving away too much information, I'm sure. But, you know, it'd be really interesting because um, they, they seem to be getting their foreign scouting spot on. And then what we're actually seeing now is that they're mixing it in with with some New Zealand talent, which is always great as well uh, for them. Uh, you know, we spoke about Callan Elliott and his rise as well. Um, and even I know Sam Sutton of late has has not been, you know, featuring as much, but he's he's one who's come along. Um, also, just a shout out to Lucas Moragas um, as well, who... Who I know Jack wasn't happy about him being loaned out, but he has been good for them um, as well. And yeah, okay, I think Matt, you wanted to just briefly make a point around the Knicks, and then we'll move on to the Wanderers. Yeah, I think I think it almost like the thing with what what Jack kind of just said, um, and it irked me out was just that they they haven't been really good, um, you know, solely because no one expected anything of them. They they were just genuinely a good football team. It was us. It was us that all said, "Oh no, they're going to be shit." So like like they they aren't overperforming, Jack. I'm sorry. Like that's just objectively. A so we're thing giving the FPF panel for the season an eight. It's not personal, man. Like I'm not I'm not trying to disrespect. No, no, I'm, 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 I'm only joking. Yeah, I can I can say that, but uh, maybe I'm just slightly optimistic and living in yellow fever dreamland at this point because I just really like watching them play. So you know, I don't know, I don't know that they're at a B level, but I understand why you've come to that conclusion. If you, if you if you didn't have the expectations, I think for as long as Ufuk Tale stays there. If he's able to mold it in with the old whites, get these New Zealand guys on a real spiritual level with him, saying, you know, I'm the I'm the international boss now. You spiritual. can push to this level, or you can, you can get involved. I, I don't know why I think it's going to make them a super club because I'm probably over exaggerating the. Yeah, I think it. you're over exaggerating that. But when, yeah. but listen, you have to understand, New Zealand football was at its highest when Ricky Herbert was managing both teams. That was not a coincidence. And I think Ulfi Tale's already been in the job for four or so years. For him to get more deeply involved and even be be getting more involved with New Zealand and New Zealand, the way they've reformed the football championship there as well. Of course, we don't talk about it because we don't know what, what the fuck it is, but they've basically re- completely reformed their national league to the point where it's it's getting on par with the New Zealand, uh, New Zealand, the New South Wales and, and Victoria NPL. That needs mentioning because it's mm. because it's the reason why the likes of Callan Elliott, I think he was playing for Trafalgar, uh, uh, sorry, not Trafalgar, Nelson, the, the club in Nelson. Um, they no longer exist, basically, is the point that I'm saying. And for him to sort of turn his career around, get to the point where he's a, a great local talent for them, you need to be talking about these things and we don't 
because you know there's an international border between us. It, it just it needs mentioning. That's all. They're playing. He's playing for Tasman United, uh, which dissolved in twenty. That's their name. Yes, they're based so, in Nelson. Um, they go. play at Trafalgar and weirdly, Park. Weirdly, though, Callum Elliott had a um had a stint at uh, Janty um FC in Greece, um, which is like a really odd the, the, under the Popovich days with like Popovich yes, and yes, all those guys. He yes, I believe it was. So yeah. it's interesting though because Tony Popovich, I guess, saw something in him too, um, and he's come a bomb um this season too. Okay, uh, Western Sydney Wanderers. We've got three teams to go. If you made it this far on the podcast, you are a legend. Um, the Wanderers. Same record as the Phoenix, 20 points as well. They've been much more solid under uh, Mark Rudin, uh, Marco Rudin uh, from a defensive standpoint. But similar to, I guess they're kind of similar to the Roar in this sense where they, they've got this kind of really solid defensive record, but they can't seem to score goals. Um, and I was there when, when they beat Sydney 1-0 in the derby. Um, and the the atmosphere around that, you know, the fact that the RBB were literally there for half an hour after full-time singing, going crazy. Yeah, it did feel like a turning point. For me, though, I, I don't know. I don't know if I see it for these guys long-term, maybe this for sure this year. I think Rudin showed at Western United that he can come in and he can get things going straight away. But long-term, is he the right guy for the job? I don't know. Uh, in terms of can he bring sustained success to the Western Sydney Wanderers, but that's not what we're here to do. We're here to give mid-season grades, um, and I think for the Wanderers, it's been it's been very good. I think that the start of the season, uh, in particular, was was really promising. Um, and you know, I think some of some of the wins they had, um, where you know they beat Sydney, uh, even of late, you know, thrashing Macarthur, which is a team near them in the table. You know, it's a, it's a good result, um, as well. So I think for the Wanderers. For the Wanderers, uh, look, I'm going to give them a B. I'm going to sli- I'm going to grade them slightly higher than Wellington, purely on the basis because I think now that that region, that community of fans, the RBB, all those supporters that get behind that club, and Matt, you mentioned this earlier, actually have a team which is capable of kind of mixing it in a little bit um, with with the bigger boys at the top. Um, and we we mentioned it before, their big thing that they need in this window is a striker. And if they can get that, similar to the Raw, if they can get that and they can start to put away chances, um, then then that will be, you know, absolutely massive for them. One other thing, Marcelo went off uh, today uh, against Newcastle with, with a slight injury. Look, Tommy Michel has looked excellent as well, but those two together as a partnership has, has really formed the basis of this defensive um, progression under Rudin. So um, you really hope for them that, that neither of those get injured long-term. Um, and Lawrence Thomas as well has been a really shrewd acquisition and he's been great too. So for them, defensively, that's their base. That's what's getting them going at the moment, but they do need to improve uh, going forward and finishing chances. Um, and I'm still going to give them a B. I'm going to go with a B plus type, uh, type scenario. Uh, again, I only gave Wellington a C because I, I said that there were elements of mediocre, uh, mediocrity cle- uh, sort of um, clearing in there. Um Sorry, struggling to speak words now. But um, look, look, the whole thing with with Western Sydney is uh, exactly what you said, Christian. Um, you want to talk about expectations coming into a factor as to why we might view these clubs more positively or negatively in their position. Western Sydney Wanderers, strictly on the pitch, are starting to feel more like the Western Sydney Wanderers that we actually expect. They're doing it with with you know Marco Rudin, someone from Western Sydney, someone who gets the club, gets the culture, and all that kind of stuff. And they're they're doing it with with some some decent players. You know, the likes of Brandon Barello. Um, has finally come back from Germany and he's, he's being that spark for them. 
Um, and just just sort of getting that vibe. Tommy Marcella as well. He's someone that uh, I believe is from Western Sydney originally, and he's just this this total stalwart as he was with Perth. Um, you know, in, in the grand final season. So, like, I'm just I'm just viewing that whole vibe, and I'm thinking I view it more positively um, and a bigger impact than the Wellington scenario. So, yeah, for me, again, you have to you have to give props and you have to rate this team really highly. And here's the thing. If they get an Adam Taggart type signing, and I don't mean an Adam Taggart signing that's a good striker that'll come on for 20 minutes and score good goals. What I mean is someone who is from Western Sydney who would fucking die for the club and is going to score goals as well. They need that impact. And if they find that impact, if they find someone who wants to be there in that environment and is scoring the goals, it's an A+. plus. It's a, you're in the grand final. You're going to Allianz in the grand final. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's happening. So if they if they wow. have that moment, right. if they if they have no, I'm serious. If they have an Adam Taggart type of equivalent who lives and breathes the Wanderers wherever they are in the world right now, come to the club, play under Marco Gruden. This club, this club are getting there. And and disrespectful to the Mariners because I'm probably going to give the Mariners an A. Spoiler alert. But like the Wanderers are just so close to to getting that 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 final piece of the puzzle. And um, yeah, that's that's uh, that, that that's it. I, I I you guys are trying to nudge me to say something about uh, Karen Bullet, which. Uh, no, uh, no. Uh, that's all. That's, that's all. I'm saying is what you're saying right now speaks to me. Saying bring him back, bring him back to the club, get him on the pitch. That's all I'm bring, saying. Bring, like, bring back, bring back the teardrop tats. What the hell? Yeah, yeah. Come on, come on. Where's he gone? Where's he gone? He's from West. <laughs> bring back the running out. into the stand when the flag's been up for offside <laughs> for like 20 minutes. Oh, beautiful stuff. Oh my um, god, we're talking uh, about Karim Bullet. Unbelievable. This podcast is going into some weird areas. Okay, um, Jack, your grade, um, and your summation of the Wanderers. I'm gonna go with B. Big old B. Um, and I'm going to give Kerpich a big old E. So there we go. <laughs> sorry to, 100% sorry to put, agree. Uh, sorry to put it out, but, you know, if we haven't said it over the last, you know, what, three, four weeks, Western, uh, Western United, Western City Wanderers need a striker and they need one quick because their goals for is 14, their goals against is 10, all right? They're grinding out results, as we know that Marco Rodin can set up sides to do, but... You know, if they want to beat the likes of Newcastle, which, you know, pains me to say they should probably on paper be winning that game and also get one over Melbourne City, they need goals. That's where they. That's where it's going to come from. It's not going to come from defending for your life and nabbing one. You, you need some genuine goal scorers as a part of your squad. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. Um, and it was funny, though, when Matt was talking, he was saying they need a striker who kind of knows the club, Western Sydney, this, that, and the other. And I'm just thinking that Suleiman Kerpich really is not that guy. Um, so anyway, <laughs> moving on. Um, and Can the I Mariners say Mariners Wanderers next week. If that game isn't mm. huge, if that mm. if that game doesn't give like 2016 semi-final five four type result, I'm going to be pissed off because that game on paper just looks so tasty. They, well, it's, in, it's interesting from a Styles perspective, and we're going to talk about the Mariners now. Well, let's let's hope that West yeah. West Sydney Wanderers signed a striker within a week because they're not scoring four or five goals with Kirby. <laughs> yeah, okay, you've got a point. You've got a point. Yeah, I know, I know. When you said 5-4, I'm like, and the Wanderers are scoring four goals? I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) So, anyway, moving on to the Mariners. Um, So, straight off the bat, it's an A for me. Um, When you have to... And and it's similar to Wellington, actually, in the fact where you've got a team who is is recruiting really well from a foreign perspective. I mean, look at Marco Tullio. The only one... Oh no, I'm getting mixed up now. I was about to say Jan Sass, but he actually signed for Wellington. Um, I was, I'm getting the colors mixed up. Um, but the only one for the Mariners, uh, sorry, no, for the Mariners, hang on, point has been ruined. The Mariners' foreign recruitment has been good, just like the Wellington. Um, and finally got there. The Wellington. Um, the Wellington. 
just like the Wellington. Um, and, <laughs> Gordon Ramsay's yeah. peak dish. Can you tell that we've been talking for over two hours? Oh my god! What's isn't it on TNC? What's the like espresso edition? Is that what they call it? Like when espresso. it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is like this is the Americano edition, edition because point. we just it's the Americano edition because Matt Olson decided to go Melbourne instead of Melbourne, so that's what we're going to call it, the Americano Melbourne edition. And Brisbane, <laughs> Brisbane, let's go. Did you say Brisbane before? No, no, I didn't. But I was just oh. thinking about it. Oh Jesus! If you did, well, um, but. The Mariners from an attack... One thing that's really stood out for me as the season's gone on is these guys are actually loaded in an attacking sense. Um, And even, you know, today, Christian Theoharis came on and made his debut. And it was like, yeah, I like to look at this guy. Like, it's it's like, you know, okay, here's another one that they could use um, at some point. Um, And, you know, when you look at it, they've lost... Okay, they've lost five games um, out of the 13. But, I mean, they've been, they've been a juggernaut offensively. Uh, they've scored 27 goals in 13 games. Um, and, you know... Gary Kowal was obviously a huge part of that at the start of the season. He's left, and they still look a threat going forward. Um, and it's because of Sam Silvera, who we spoke about a little bit on uh, on the mini last week as well. Um, and they just, yeah, they, they look they look terrific. Um, they're a well-oiled machine. Nick Montgomery, you want to talk about understanding the area and understanding, you know, what he's working with. Um, and and Matt is, you know, he's speaking about that with with some of these coaches. Nick Montgomery definitely, uh, you know, exemplifies that out of a lot of these coaches. He, he he understands that this club needs to rely on its academy, but he's also getting the best out of Jackson Cummings, Marco Tullio, uh, in an attacking sense. And actually, now I've remembered the the foreign player for the Mariners who hasn't really come leaps and bounds is Paul Ayonga. He's probably one that hasn't actually uh, looked very, very good at all, in my opinion. But apart from that, they've looked great. Brian Kaltak has been a transformational signing defensively, uh, and his journey is 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 a, a fantastic and a fascinating one as well. Nectar Triantis, he comes in, no problems. Uh, Jacob Farrell, another solid season. The only real spot, I think, for the Mariners where they haven't really decided on is probably at right back where, where Storm Rue and Aquilina have kind of interchanged and it's not really one that's set in stone uh, as well. And if they could get more goal involvement out of out of Benny and Cololo, that would probably be good as well. And I know I know, I say that as he actually scored today, but he hasn't really contributed regularly. Um, and my last point on them would be Josh Nisbet. Um, and he's been terrific this year as well. And he's a really underrated player, in my opinion. I think he's spectacular. I've watched him um, ever since he kind of broke out uh as the as the as the midget that he is in midfield <laughs> um but it kind of it kind of helps him um because he's got this agility he's got this ability to to beat players um you know um in in 1v1 kind of scenarios in 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 the midfield as well which is which is really which is really important if you've got a, a kind of a box-to-box midfielder that can do that it really opens up the game for you but then he's got the passing range he's got the intelligence and he's been a terrific uh terrific player for them as well so uh it's an a for me uh, yeah, I'm going to go a B plus only because I, I only think there's one A team and we're going to talk about them very, very shortly because we need to uh, go to bed some people in the Eastern Seaboard. Um, but uh, just on the Mariners, uh, I think that some defensive inconsistency, if you wipe that away, you've you, you've got a like genuine premier level team, like on the level of Melbourne City in terms of how they're set up to attack, uh, their passing and how they um, transition the ball up forward. Genuinely, you've got plays in there with star power. And well, let's put this into perspective, right? Uh, losses, Central Coast Mariners have lost five games this season. MacArthur have lost six. 
So effectively, like we discussed this, the league's very mediocre. We'll go past that. Effectively, the one loss away from being MacArthur, which we gave what I think I gave a C, and we were hanging around that area. So that's why I'm giving them a B plus, but also fun games to watch. Whenever I watch Central Coast Mariners, I just have fun. So I, I really like watching them, and that's coming from you know someone who shouldn't like watching them. And we won't talk any further about that because we don't need any more newy talk. Anyway, moving on. When I when I think about the Mariners, I, I and I've I've in you know the twenty four years that I've been watching the A League, the A League has not been around for twenty four years, but yeah, what I'm saying. In the uh, in the many years that I've been watching this competition, no more have I wanted us to see a team play finals football than what I want to see this team play finals football. There's a very good reason for that, right? So you mentioned the five losses there, Jack. Their record is seven, one, and five, which means they're not drawing games. That's why they've lost that many games. You know why that is? Because they have a never say die attitude and they know how to put on the goals and they know how to be clinical when it's required. As a result of that, in elimination finals football, they're going to go all out. They're going to be at their very best and they could very well topple Melbourne City. So yeah, okay, maybe the results aren't the very, very best and they're not at their very best. But, you know, just think about where this club was five years ago. Think about what they've been through. Think about the management. Think about getting a, a clubman like Nick Montgomery involved. I'm going to start crying. I'm going to get emotional about it. I'm going to want to go to battle for this team. They're incredible. And they're getting an A++++++++++ because, yeah, okay, maybe most of the turnaround was the work of Alan Stajic. But, like, this this team, they have heart. They have DNA. They're the Mariners again. And they are, they are on the verge of playing some very, very exciting football at the big finals crescendo. You know, regardless of where geographically it will be in this country, they are going to be at the very, very top. And I just can't wait to see where this team go from here. We get 13 more games of this, plus more in finals. Let's go. Bring it on. Yeah, so... But uh, for for those listening, Matt can find that enthusiasm uh, this late in the podcast because it's still eight thirty where he is. Um, but it's it's eleven where I am. Um, and I can't match that. What I would say is that he mentioned you mentioned that Alan Stadich kind of started this turnaround. True, uh, that is true from a results perspective. Although this is Nick Montgomery's team, he's got he's got his fingerprints over this, and the reason he does is because this team plays a much different style, in my opinion, to the Alan Stadich teams. Those teams are a bit more like you know. Western United or Western Sydney Wanderers that we see at the moment where they try and sit in and play a bit more on the counter. This team can literally play you off the park. And we saw that when they destroyed Adelaide, a team which is near them on the table the other week. I mean, they just completely dismantled them, right? Um, and what's, you know, yeah, I, I think it's an interesting point around elimination finals when it comes to it. They really are going to go all out for it. I agree. Um, and they've got, you know, I, I keep going on about it, but it's true that they've just got threats from everywhere. Um, and, and when they're on, they're going to be on. Um, I think it's too early to start talking about, you know, can they challenge Melbourne City, this, that, and the other, because, you know, that they've got to make sure that they sustain their form. Um, and if they can do that, them finishing second alone is is a remarkable achievement. Uh, just absolutely remarkable. So, um, yeah, it's 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 quite incredible. And I think the other thing is they're they're just their production line as well. I mean, Harry Harry Steele comes in, you know, to play next to Josh Nisbet, and he looks fine. There's no problems at all. Max Ballard has the odd game, looks fine, you know. And it's and it's we know this about the Mariners, but now it's actually they're starting to get more credit for their kind of youth development because now they're actually getting results as well. And it's like, okay, yep. Now you can see the vision of the club really come through um, and they're going to be really one to watch the second half of the year. So, yeah, 
Um, you, you're very high on the Mariners. Um, I think you know I wouldn't give them that high a grade, but that's the but but I get where you're coming from totally. So all right, let's uh, let's finish up um, finish up with our last team, Melbourne City. This shouldn't take too long. Um, Melbourne City. I think it's a pretty it's a pretty standard A. Um, in in my opinion, um, you know, you could you could get more more you know specific around it and and say you know I don't know like that you know if they were really an A you know would they be further away from the chasing pack? But I mean, look, they are. I mean, they're, they're five points clear with a game in hand. Um, they're they're the best team in the league by far, in my opinion. Um, they've got you know the quality on paper, but they also play the football, which, which, which goes to match it. You know, they've got quality, but it's not like they're playing counterattacking football, right? That they're, they're, they're playing a swashbuckling brand week in, week out. Um, and yeah, I mean, despite a hiccup in, in Sydney, uh, where they lost two one at the start of, uh, at the start of December, they, they've been pretty much faultless throughout. Yeah. I agree. Flat out. A, um, the only team that scored more goals than them in the league is Mariners. So if you if you look at their their dichotomy there, Mariners are probably the most exciting team at the moment to to watch in the league. If you're going to sit down and pick one A League match to watch, you know most people will probably pick a Mariners game because everything's happened: comebacks, send offs, comebacks from send offs, all that sort of stuff. But talking about Melbourne City here, their attack is elite, and the players they've got at their disposal within their uh, squad is absolutely fantastic. I think about the the, the foreigners they have there: Valon Barisha, um, Vanderven, and they've also got Berenger, who's um, yeah, Berenger is coming off the bench, right? So that's three elite level players. Yeah, well, well Berenger is obviously kind of working his way back. From yeah, the yeah, he's course, working yeah. back from yeah. injury, but we we know what he's capable of. Like, you know, it wasn't probably you know eighteen months, you know, that he was the best player in the league. You know, hands down. So um, looking at that, I also love how Tilio's, you know, had sort of a, he had a stuttering start to the A-League season, looked lack of confidence and it's just built upon that and looked better than ever. I think this is a better version of Marco Tilio than we saw last season. And also Jordan Boss, I think is the best fullback in the league. And I'm going to make that same right now. He's the best fullback Whoa. in the league. He's quite on. <laughs> That, look, that's just bombastic statement, but he is. I, you cannot, you cannot make that big of a hot take this late in the podcast. My brain is not ready for that. Well, look at his technical ability, right? And, and yep. he's defending. Defending probably is down to a very good system that they're playing in there now with uh, Rado, but before with Kisnorbo, he's so good on the ball. Like he is the epitome of a modern fullback, and. I can't see him sticking around the A-League too much longer if he keeps putting the performance he has. Like, we've covered him in depth this season. We keep going back to how good he's been. Everyone's noticed it. And I think, by far and large, he's the best fullback in the league. And that's that's where I'm going to leave it. You know, to be okay. honest, Matt, I'll let, you, I'll let you go in a sec. If I could just interject very quickly. You actually you look around and you think about it. You know, he actually might be. Um, and I think... There, there, there might be some angry Adelaide fans who might who might actually contest that and say, oh, Javi Lopez, this, that, and the other. Um, because although Javi Lopez maybe doesn't, you know, 
offer the same thing in maybe like an attacking sense and this sort of thing. But, you know, he's he's kind of the experienced option and this, that, and the other. And he's been super consistent, this, that, this sort of thing. But I agree. Like, Jordan Boss, he's got the technical ability, but he's actually got physical attributes to match. I mean, when he gets the ball and he just drives into midfield and he goes on these sorts of runs, it's fantastic to watch. Um, and just on Melbourne City, I think I said this before, but their depth is it's laughable how how deep they are. Um, it, it honestly really is. Like, Nuno Raish is on the bench. Like he's we were talking about the A-League's <laughs> mediocrity before, right? Um, it's only between 2nd and 12th because yeah, you can't lump Melbourne City in within there because, mm. like, they've genuinely got other teams like key players on their bench. Like That's how deep they are. It's ridiculous. Yeah, look, okay. Um, I think in terms of speaking to the individuals and the tactics, I can just leave all that aside because you, you guys have covered it well enough. Um, but if we go back to one of the first minis, right, and I we reference this a lot because it actually has played a, a big part in the season, is uh, this, this Melbourne City Wanderers game. It was just me and you that night, Christian. And the whole thing was about Western being a disaster. And I called it like the, the troubles coming with Western. But on the opposite side on that same night, I very distinctly remember saying the thing with Melbourne City is you can't pinpoint the exact thing that makes them really good because they're that good. <laughs> and and when you've got a football team like that with so much individual talent where you go, oh, well, Matthew Leckie, he doesn't stand out as one of the best players in the league. Andrew Naboo, he doesn't stand out as one of the best players in the league because they mm. all do what they need to do and they all do it so well that this team are just unstoppable. The thing that pisses me off, right? And um, and I, I just, I have to go on this rant for, for, for two seconds, half a second. It's just like, this is the kind of team that we need performing at the very best in the Champions League. And the fact that they fell at the hands of BG Pathum, a, a Thai team, actually really pissed me off. But, but that's worth mentioning. And the one thing that I will say with Melbourne City is, it's intriguing now with Patrick Kisnorbo going to Le Trois. Uh, that's uh, with uh, with that happening. Um <laughs> That Rado Vidicic, we, we don't know if Rado Vidicic is a long-term, um, you know, sort of um, manager for, for the team. We, we don't know what the vibe is going to be there. And we don't know who Rado is going to be or how he's going to play his football. So Melbourne City may be at a bit of crossroads in that, right? But it's not the kind of thing that's going to get them down the ladder of anything. Christian, you, uh, you had a point. Yeah. So a couple of things, a couple of things. Um, so your point around, you know, basically like they're not individuals, that they're, they're a team and, you know, they don't. They don't like Melbourne, you know, uh, not Melbourne, Matthew Leckie doesn't stand out um, or, you know, uh, Marco Tilly doesn't stand out or Valen Bruce doesn't stand out. Yeah. You know why? Because they sign players again. They sign players and foreigners who suit into what they're doing and they play a role. They perform a function. That's the thing about Melbourne City, which actually makes them great. Um, and, you know, you look at the, the relationships they've got on the pitch, they they just work perfectly. Um, you know, that left side, you talk about Jordan Boss. I mean, it's also Jordan Boss's ability to link up with Matthew Leckie, to link up with Richard Vanderven, who, by the way, has secretly been really good of late for Melbourne City um, and after not really featuring that much at the start of the season. Valen Barisha has been a superb midfielder. He's, he's technically elite. Um, Aiden O'Neill, uh, despite not playing that, I believe, not starting games at the start of the season, Taris Kamulka had that role. He's come in, he's looked great. Um, you know, that they, they don't have any weak links and together they play a brand of football which is attractive, it's fantastic, but they all perform their role and it makes it really, it makes it really easy Sorry for a, for a coach like Rado Vitisic. And to your point around Rado, I, I don't know if he's necessarily a a short-term kind of, oh, yeah, we'll just have him to the end of the season. I He could be a long-term solution because he, he's been at the club. He knows what this 
what the City Football Group want to do. He knows what you know the team how they want to play. It's you know the the women's team is similar that they all throughout the club want to play the same way. So I do think that he he will be there. I think you know at the moment he's proving that he's more than capable. Yeah, okay, maybe you could say oh he's just he's just kind of lashed onto a team which is already playing very well. But I think you're seeing with the progression of guys like like Vanderven um, that that he's being able to get the best out of out of him as well. Um, and I think he's doing a really good job. The Rado conversation in depth is obviously for another time, but I think mm. it's interesting with him and both Dario, actually, I might as well mention it. This is how all these incredible local managers got their start. It's how Wilford got his start. It's how Patrick is not working himself. Got his start. It's how Steve Corico got his start, right? They went through uh, sort of youth programs, NPL. They went through the women's teams. So maybe, maybe, maybe yeah, maybe I'm being harsh there, but I just, and then one thing, one thing that, that gets me with Rado is, you don't know where he's at because he's not, he's not, he's a very dry character. He's not a very polarizing character. So his ability on the team and how he approaches the situation and how he talks about it, I'm um, obviously not being a native English speaker anyway, but, but, you know, and, and that plays a part in it. I think that, that his identity on the team is never going to be a strong one. So whether that's an asset or not going forward, I don't know, but I personally would like to see the CFG, you know, I'd like to see them go for someone really extravagant. Um, although, as we've mentioned uh, with the local managers, maybe that's not the best thing. But look, that's that's twelve teams done, Christian. We've done it. Yeah, uh, just really quick on Vitasic. I know we're all tired. I'm very tired. But with Vitasic, uh, if when if and when Melbourne City get another all uh, A League's All Access episode, that is going to be uh, very much focused on the players because, like you said, he's a very dry character, and I think that Melbourne City, you know, whilst they are extremely successful, if they have a team that's polarizing enough to beat them that actually might be the only the only thing that could lead to a downfall which i don't foresee as a likely thing to happen but i think it it's rado uh rado's sort of personality that if they do get into a rado form i don't know how he could motivate a player but that's more of a personal thing like you said Matt, that's a conversation for another time yeah i don't know i think i think maybe rado actually being a bit more of a standoffish you know, potentially dry character might actually suit this squad in a way though as well, because maybe it's, you know, they've got top end talent that doesn't really need, you know, a manager who's kind of, you know, in their, you know, got, got an arm around their shoulder all the time and kind of telling them how great they are. They kind of maybe know that already and they're just going to go out there and do their job. But um, that's, that's going to bring it to a close. We didn't um, technically give the grade, but obviously across the three of us, it's all the letter A. Yeah, well, I, I gave my grade. I think you two uh, just forgot that. <laughs> um, but anyway. I said gonna... A. Aww. I said A at the start of my thing. <laughs> What's that noise? Um, <laughs> all right. We're, uh, we're getting we're getting uh, restless, that's for sure. Um, and if you've made it this far on the podcast, like I said earlier, you're a legend um, because I don't know how you can stand us talking basically nonsense for, for, for two and a half hours, to be honest. Um, but that was our mid-season review. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I said before, like, oh, yeah, you know, half an hour tops. You know, we just go through every team. And I'm pretty sure the mid-season review alone was like an hour and a bit. Um, but, yeah, crazy stuff. It's been a crazy couple of days. Uh, it's a good weekend of football um, with, with some craziness with the York situation. Um, and then, of course, the, uh, the mid-season review um, that, that we've done there as well. Uh, and if you've made it this far, you know, kudos to you. All right, that's going to do it. 
Uh, make sure you check us out. Um, check out the mini we did earlier this week, looking a little bit closely at that uh, Adelaide MacArthur game and as well from pagefootball.net. That's the website. Go and check out some of our articles, a few up this week uh, as well. And then socials as well, front PG Football, Twitter and Instagram, front page football on Facebook as well. And if you're, for some weird reason, want to look us up on LinkedIn, um, you can find us on there as well. Anyway. That's going to end this podcast. Thank you to Jack and Matt for joining me. And uh, you can listen to us the next one soon.